kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? there welcome to episode 69 of love that album my name is morris and this is the first of two end of year specials for 2014 where we'll be looking at favorite albums of 2014 either new ones or albums that our guests had basically gone and discovered for the first time in 2014 could be 50 years old the album that they chose but um it's just something that's new to uh myself or any of the people who I'm speaking with over these two episodes. That's very exciting. So how we're breaking this down is, uh, I'll talk about the next episode. Uh, Episode 70 is going to be uh, one that I've been doing for the last couple of years with the what I dubbed the Shooting the Shit crew. And I'll talk more about that at the end of this special. And uh, in episode 69, this one, I've basically put out a request to any of the listeners or previous uh, presenters on the show to provide me their favourite albums of 2014. As I said, either new or ones that they'd gone and discovered for the first time this year. And I've got some really, really great stuff to present to you. So if um, you're wondering, what music have I missed out on this year? Or what are some great picks from previous years? Well, my co-presenters for this show, all all the recorded segments I've made with co-presenters of the show, have come up with some uh, really fascinating choices. So before I go into playing the first of my pre-recorded segments, I'll read to you an email. I actually had one email. Someone decided that they didn't want to talk, but they wanted to write to me. And I'm always quite happy for the written word. And so this is from a fellow called Richard Poinder, who uh, actually lives sort of down the road from me in uh, Geelong, I think. Uh, so that's about 70, 80 k's outside of Melbourne. But compared to the rest of the world, that's um, that's just down the road. So anyway, Richard writes the following. He says, G'day, Morris. When I listened to your top five 2013 earlier this year, I thought I must bore you with 2014 as we neared the end. So here is the list in no particular order, as that would mean being a bit too judgmental. I could not find room for Bruce or Neil or even the remastered Led Zeppelin albums. All good, but not great. The Oasis box sets were also good, but nothing that you hadn't heard before. I do not expect much other than compilation stocking fillers between now and Christmas, so the list is finished. I look forward to listening to the best of 2014 on Love That Album. Cheers, Richard. And here is his list. Lucinda Williams, Where the Spirit Meets the Bone. I only got this the other day and only listened to it fully three times, but it is one of those albums you hear and it jumps out of the speakers and grabs you. I'm not a country music fan, but then this album probably covers more blues and rock than country. The vocals are sparse and direct and the guitar work fantastic. One for listening to in the car where you can turn it up and not get interrupted. The second album he's written about, uh, Pat McMahon, self-titled. It seems bizarre that this album has not got more publicity than it has. Get a bloke with a distinctive voice, an acoustic guitar and some really good simple songs and a clean production and this is the result. Pretty laid back and very easy to like. 
Next up, Pop Boomerang, up to our eyeballs compilation. Thanks to your recommendation of the Livingston Daisies, I ended up getting onto Pop Boomerang Records. What a great label. I have to agree, Richard. Uh, I have grabbed three of their compilations of mostly no-name acts and cannot believe that A, I have not heard of many of them, and B, why are they not regulars on the radio? I picked this compilation out as it is from 2014 and it has some real gems on it with enough variation to just keep on playing it. And yes, the daisies are the highlights. Uh, the next one, uh, Dennis Tech, Detroit. Just a great rock album. They don't make them like this anymore. Well, maybe they do. We just have to hunt them down. And just wanted to uh, interject there as well, Richard, that uh, I believe that there's a new Radio Birdman box set that's uh, only just come out in the last month or two. Maybe you'll be uh, interested in checking that out. And finally, uh, he says, Dan Sultan, Blackbird. When I saw Bruce this year, and that means Springsteen, for those of you not aware, uh, I sat next to a mate of Dan's who was telling me how excited Dan was with the new album. He has every reason to be. Whereas his last album had some great tracks, it also had a few holes. This one, however, is much more complete and works so much better with his blues and soul influences. Well, Richard, you're not alone in uh, that assessment of uh, Dan's album. One of uh, my other guests on this program has also gone and cited Dan Sultan's album Blackbird as one of his favourites for the year so just keep listening and you'll find out who that is anyway thank you so much Richard for uh, submitting your picks um, and uh, well anyway on with the show uh, let's see okay so uh, the uh, first of my co-presenters uh, for this program is going to be um, Ben Eisen from the All Time Top 10 podcast Ben was very kind enough to go and record uh, his uh, list of uh, 2014 first-time listens, albums that he really, really dug, all the way from Goodlist Studios there in uh, Los Angeles. So I'm really very, very grateful for that because I know that uh, between his bass playing and uh, his band uh, uh, ventures and uh, recording for the all-time top 10 podcast, he's a very busy man. So I'm grateful that he's taken the time to go and record a segment of his favourite albums for 2014 for your oral pleasure. Uh, and uh, if you like what you hear from Ben there, then uh, give a tune-in to his really wonderful podcast, the All-Time Top 10 Podcast. You can uh, either download that from iTunes or go to alltimetop10.podomatic.com and uh, give it a listen. Anyway, here's Ben. This is Ben Eisen from the All-Time Top 10 Podcast here in beautiful Goodless Studios, Los Angeles, California. 
Uh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me on to, uh, to do this segment, Morris. I uh, love your show and can't wait to get back on it and can't wait to have you back on my show. So 2014 was a really fun year for music for me. Um, I began interning at uh, a radio station, a really, really cool radio station here in Los Angeles called uh, KCSN. Uh, it's from Cal State Northridge, the college there. And the uh, people who run it are on the cutting edge of uh, what's really cool. They play a great mix of indie rock uh, along with some classic rock, but not the typical classic rock you hear on every classic rock station. It's all kinds of new stuff. Um, and uh, three artists, um, three, three albums slash artists um, that I heard on that station this year from working there uh, really helped shape my, uh, my taste going forward. And I actually heard a ton of great stuff on that station, but I just want to highlight three things. Of course, um, one of the best albums of the year, in my opinion, was Morning Phase from Beck. Now this is uh, this is Beck's return to more introspection, more uh, just making pretty music and, and getting rid of the irony, getting rid of the detachment, all of the the silliness that you know his uh, some of his more upbeat stuff has has uh, come to embody. Uh, this is a here's a quote from the uh, press release for Morning Phase. Uh, it calls it a companion piece to his 2002 album, Sea Change, which I agree with. And it says it harkens back to the stunning harmonies, song craft, and staggering emotional impact of that record while surging forward forward with infectious optimism. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a lot like that record, except for it's not such a downer. It's more just soaring, beautiful melodies. Um, it, it's definitely an essential album in Beck's discography and quite possibly the best album of 2014, um, Morning Phase. My favorite songs, um, the, one of the, the opening track, Morning, which is great. Uh, the, the first single off the record is called Blue Moon. It's one of my favorites. And I really love the sound of, uh, there's a song called Blackbird Chain. And uh, listen to the bass in this track. It's just so beautiful, so rich. On this record, there's hints of Pink Floyd, there's hints of Neil Young, but it's always undeniably Beck, and uh, definitely one of his best.
So also in 2014, um, I was introduced to a band actually the previous year, a band from uh, New Jersey here in the States, uh, a band called Real Estate. And uh, what these guys do is their own unique brand of dreamy, surfy, lush pop rock music. Um, there's lots of uh, birds-esque jangle pop. You hear a bit of um, the Jayhawks in there. And um, they've had three albums in 2014. In March of 2014, their third album, Atlas, was released. And um, Atlas expands on their signature sound with uh, soaring tracks like uh, Talking Backwards and a mod- what I consider a modern instrumental classic and one that will... Uh, I'm not huge on instrumentals, but this one just, just kills me. It's so beautiful. It's a song called April's Song from Real Estate. jersey also in 2014 i uh was introduced to an artist that uh those of you in the melbourne area probably know already um but i think that this artist is is absolutely brilliant uh, it's a woman by the name of courtney barnett and um she is from melbourne and in my mind she has the lyrical inventiveness the humorous quality and the vocal charm of Bob Dylan in his 1965 prime. Um, I think she's amazing. Even though uh, it came out in 2013, her album, How to Carve a Carrot into a Rose, was new to me in 2014 and um, got to uh, listen to a lot of her music during my internship at uh, KCSN in Los Angeles. In fact, I want to highlight a track um, of hers called Avant Gardener and this track was actually recorded live at KCS and I was not there that day but uh, uh, apparently she was a really nice guest and uh, I wish great things for her in the future because I think she's a brilliant voice and she's got she's an amazing lyricist and a cool personality um, Courtney Barnett uh, is another one of my picks from 2014 Sleeping late, another day. Oh, what a wonder! Oh, what a waste! It's a Monday, it's so mundane. What exciting things will happen today? The yard is full of hard rubbish, it's a mess, and I guess the neighbors must think we run a mess lab. We should amend that. I pull the sheets back, it's 40 degrees and I feel like I'm dying Life's getting hard in here, so I do some gardening Anything to take my mind away from where it's supposed to be The nice lady next door talks of green beds and 
All the nice things that she wants to plan in them I want to grow tomatoes on the front steps Sunflowers, beans, sprouts, sweet corn and radishes I feel proactive, I pull out weeds All of a sudden, I'm having trouble breathing in I'm having trouble breathing in I'm having trouble breathing in Having trouble breathing in So there you have it. Uh, I would definitely highly, highly recommend all three of these. Uh, the new album from Beck, Morning Phase, Atlas from Real Estate, and from 2013, Courtney Barnett, the album How to Carve a Carrot into a Rose. Um, that's it for me. Um, once again, I'm Ben Eisen from the All-Time Top 10 Podcast. Um, you can hear more of me talking with Morris, talking about Wilco and his latest um, uh, effort on All-Time Top 10. We did Top 10 Wilco songs, and it was a fantastic episode. So look for that. Uh, our website is alltimetop10.podomatic.com. I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful new year. Happy 2015 to all. And uh, thank you so much, Morris, once again. And we'll see you all soon. Peace out. Straight to the heart. I feel like Uma Thurman post overdosing kickstart. Reminds me of the time when I was really sick and I had too much pseudoephedrine and I couldn't sleep at night. Halfway down High Street, Andy looks ambivalent. He's probably wondering what I'm doing getting in an ambulance. The paramedic thinks I'm clever because I play guitar. I think she's clever because she stops people dying. Anaphylactic and super hyper. Thanks very much, Ben, for your wonderful list there. And actually, all your choices line up with uh, some of the other guests in. Um, this special and in the shooting the shit special to come next episode around uh so there's um some good consensus there you've gone and had as i said some really fine picks there that's wonderful uh so the next guest uh that i've had lined up to um, make a recording and tell us about his favorite uh first time listens of 2014 is uh, the man who was with me on the very first episode of Love That Album. I'm really pleased to say that I've brought back music journalist and music author, or I should say music biography author, Jeff Jenkins. He uh, was with me on the very first episode where we're discussing whether Bruce Springsteen's While the Innocent in the East Street Shuffle or Darkness on the Edge of Town was the better Springsteen album. And of course, the general consensus was the While the Innocent and the East Street Shuffle. Uh, it's been a long while since he's been back on the program and I'm hoping that I can convince him to maybe come back sometime in 2015, but uh, I'm grateful of his time for uh, this special, so I hope that you dig what his choices are and take it away, Jeff. Welcome back to Love That Album. You're listening to the end of year special of favourite albums of 2014. I've gone and assembled a variety of guests. I'm very, very excited about this. I always say I'm excited, but I am, just like Big Kev. And... I am particularly excited about my next guest for this segment because this is a man who was on the very first episode of Love That Album. Hasn't been on the show in a little while, but I'm happy to welcome him back to the Love That Album studio. Or rather, it's actually his room, so it's not the Love That Album studio, but anyway, I'm rambling on. Mr. Jeff Jenkins, welcome back to the show. Great to be back, Mo, and I'm excited too, like the late, great, big Kev. <laughs> Remember him fondly. Indeed, indeed. So you're going to go over a, a few 2014 
album favourites, uh, things that you dug this year, the floor is yours. Yeah, well, so many great releases this year, like every year, and I think there's even probably more music is released nowadays. It's probably harder to break through, though. So I've got a bit of a top five. Mm-hmm. Had I could have had a top 20, but a top five at sort of number one in no particular order, Caitlin Harnett, who's a young singer-songwriter from Sydney, and her debut album, The River Runs North. Uh, when I found out her all-time favourite artist was Jackson Brown, I thought, well, <laughs> chances are you fell in love. I'm going to be a Caitlin Harnett fan, and I'm a huge fan. She's kind of best buddies with uh, Melody Poole, who released my favourite album of 2013, The Hurting Scene. And this album is kind of a companion for that album, and probably shouldn't lump them together, even though they are great friends. But for me, Caitlin Harnett and Melody Poole, it's what Joni Mitchell would sound like if she was starting out now. Okay. Just classic songwriting beautiful voices you can kind of imagine being at a coffee house in the late 60s mm-hmm. early 70s in california and i think caitlin harnett has been really influenced by her parents record collection as we mentioned jackson brown and a little bit of trivia for you caitlin harnett's mum was the very first person to dance with Bruce Springsteen in Australia. <laughs> True story. So she was invited on stage during Dancing in the Dark. 1985, holy, Sydney show. Holy Bruce, first time here. Pull Caitlin Harnett's mum out of the crowd. So you've got to love that. So the question I want to ask is, when they would have gone to see him on the recent tours of of uh, Australia in the last couple of years did her mother hold up a sign saying dance with my daughter <laughs> well I, almost I think and I think Caitlin tells a very funny story that when Bruce jumped into the crowd in Sydney this year she grabbed his bum so, oh. so a wonderful mother-daughter connection they have through Bruce Springsteen how sweet because of course I think Caitlin's only 24 she wasn't even born when Bruce first came to Australia right. but anyway I love Caitlin Harnett's uh, debut album The River Runs North recorded in Ottawa in Canada and I think Caitlin's kind of even talking about relocating and living in Canada so catch her while you can mm-hmm. selection though comes from uh, Missy Higgins now of course everyone knows Missy Higgins she's such a quality artist and I think if she's not already revered as much as we revere Paul Kelly one day she will be because she is just so great her fourth album was a little bit of a surprise it's a covers album and when artists release a covers album it's kind of like mm, have they run out of ideas where are they going with this it's not a very original move of course What I loved about this record, it is an album of Australian covers and relatively unknown songs as well. And certainly uh, focusing on some artists who deserve a much bigger audience like Neil Murray, the Black Eyed Susans. And the reason that I really, really love this record, she does a Perry Keys song. And I've been banging on about Perry Keys for a long time now. Some people are familiar with Perry and if you are, you love him. He's just one of, I don't think there's a better Australian songwriter than Perry Keys. I know that's a big call, but that is a big call. Missy Higgins, when she introduced this song at a recent concert in Melbourne, said, 
he's Australia's Bruce Springsteen. And that, to me, sums it up. It's what Bruce Springsteen would sound like if he grew up in Redfern in Sydney. I love Perry Keys, and I love the fact that Missy Higgins has covered his song New Year's Eve on her album Oz. Now, I'd actually heard, I've only heard the one song off the album, but that was a Don Walker song that appears at the end of the record. And I thought, ooh, okay, I might have to investigate this album further, but... Uh, some more quality songwriting. Yeah, it's just great to yeah shine a light on Australian artists. Uh, and, and what makes it work is that it's not Missy Sings the Hit. She could have done the obvious Australian songbook and then done Case Anne yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, done The Boys Light Up or all the obvious kind of classics, but she hasn't. She does do a couple of Paul Kelly songs, which is not a surprise. She's mm-hmm. a huge Paul Kelly fan. But as I said, there'd be a lot of Missy Higgins fans buying this album and going, who's this Perry Keys guy? And hopefully they will check him out. He does have a brand new album out in January called Sunny Holt. So do yourself a favour. Punks are lighting fires Drinking long necks in the park Some girls swimming in the fountain Singing bars, cocks in the dark Your sister always says she's lonely I stole a New Year's kiss from her station every red light was a blur now all the junky kids are tired every single taxi is high and then my next selection comes from another female artist another incredible year for australian female artists and i love this artist mia dyson and it was her fifth album called Idle Wild. Now, music is very educational, as you know, Mo. I discovered that Idle Wild, which is a great name for an album, it's actually a place in the mountains in California. Mm-hmm. So, learning about geography via music. Uh, Mia Dyson obviously loves the classics Lucinda Williams, Bonnie Raitt, Bruce. Tom Petty, and another big call, but I reckon Mia Dyson sits really comfortably alongside all of them. She's such a great singer, great guitar player, and uh, there's a wonderful song on this new album called Any Three Chords, and it's kind of Mia Dyson's musical manifesto. She sings, I only want to play in the band, I only want to travel the world, if only I could sing for a crowd who loves me better than I can. I just thought it was a wonderful song, and this was a wonderful record from Mia Dyson. Idle Wild is the name of the album. favourite artists uh, did a great album this year it took me a couple of listens and I don't know whether it's as great as his classic album Love Town but it's not far away of course I'm talking about Stephen Cummings the album's called Nothing To Be Frightened Of now Stephen it's 30 years since his first solo album and of course for Barnsey it was 30 years since his first solo album this year he made a big noise about it which was great But Stephen Cummings also, there was a documentary about his life this year, which was my favourite music doco of the year. It's called Don't Throw Stones, and I really hope it gets an audience beyond just two screenings at the film festival. I don't know if you caught it. No, I know. Actually, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't get to catch anything at the film festival. I was really keen to see um, a musician who I know that you also admire. There was a documentary about Elliot Smith. 
and that only had the one screening and it sold out really, really quickly and I just sort of didn't get around to catching anything else. But um, no, I, I don't even think I remember seeing anything about the uh, about this uh, Stephen Cummings documentary, but that would surely end up on the ABC or SBS before too long, wouldn't it? Well, fingers crossed, and hopefully it will get a DVD release. I think they're having a bit of a struggle with a few music clearances, like you do with a lot of music documentaries, but hopefully it will get an airing on TV and on DVD soon, because it was a wonderful documentary. And for me, it really summed up and gave an insight into Stephen Cummings as an artist, that he, he looks like a star, he sounds like a star, but he wasn't built for stardom. Mm. And uh, yeah, wonderful doco, Don't Throw Stones, which was kind of like a sequel or a reaction to, he had a wonderful uh, memoir a few years ago called um, Will It Be Funny Tomorrow, Billy? Yeah. And this is kind of a reaction to that and interviewing some people who he gives a bit of a backhander to in the book, like Steve Kilby and Shane O'Mara and Rebecca Barnard, and the documentary maker spoke to them. It's a wonderful insight into Stephen Cummings. Big year for Stephen. He also turned 60 this year. After all of his work, it's about time the ARIA Hall of Fame inducted him. So ARIA people, if you listen to this, get onto it, get Stephen into the Hall of Fame. But yeah, I did love his new album, Nothing To Be Frightened Of. I was just going to make one one more mention that um, I've seen like in the last two weeks or so, uh, there's been a beautiful re-release, which I'm sure David Lang had something to do with. Of the sports. Of, of uh, Reckless and uh, Don't Throw Stones. And there's like about uh, you know, a thousand bonus tunes, live tunes, uh, not just not just the usual alternate takes, like lots of different songs and live sessions and B-sides and things like that. And they've done the same thing for Jojo Zepp's Screaming Targets. Absolutely beautiful packages. And it's really wonderful to see that as well as Aztec Records, that there's someone else in the country who's finally woken up and said we have a great musical heritage let's treat it with the respect it deserves yeah they were my favorite re-releases of the year and they've been done yeah so beautifully as you said nothing to be frightened of nothing to be frightened of everywhere i went every dollar i Illusion, I'll be free. Nothing to be frightened of. So they're sort of my favourite new albums of the year. I also loved albums from Halfway, Davy Lane, Emma Heaney, Jeff Lang, Jack Howard's record, Russell Morris, the second part of his trilogy, Kate Miller Heidke, The New Wagons, Lil Luke, who are doing really well overseas. Um, and certainly The Church, their brand new album, Further Deeper, which came towards the end of the year. I really liked that record. So as I said, I could go on for ages and ages talking about Australian music. But the, the one I want to finish with, a um, bit of a retro uh, one, not the one I discovered this year. I've been a fan of this album since it came out, but my car is so old. I've still got a tape player in my car. Nice. And I love playing tapes in the car, driving along. You know what? If you wait another couple of years, you'll find that you're a, a trendsetter and that will actually <laughs> sort of be fashionable. Exactly. People will be checking them out and going, wow, this is they sound so great on cassette. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and the cassette that I've had in my car pretty much the entire year is Bonnie Raitt's album from 1989, Nick of Time. It was just such an incredible record, still is. It was like a comeback record for Bonnie Raitt. I think she was in her late 30s, so it was kind of weird that it was a comeback. But she'd been dropped by Warner Brothers, rejected by pretty much every other label. EMI then picked it up. 
and then it won three Grammy Awards, including oh, Album of the Year. And for me, it was really special because I remember that day distinctly. I was interviewing a young artist at the time, Sean Colvin, who was over in, oh, in wow. Australia um, on a promo tour. And she just released her debut album. And I remember just how excited she was that Bonnie Raitt had won all of those Grammys. And you could just see that it gave an artist like Sean Colvin hope that great music could still find an audience, mm. which was wonderful. Uh, Bonnie wrote, wrote only uh, two songs on uh, this album, um, the title track, which opens the record, Nick of Time, and the last song, The Road's My Middle Name, which really sums it all up. But she makes every song her own. It's such a special record. Um, there was a lot of talk around the time that uh, she was going to make an album with Prince, which would have been really, really interesting. Um, and I don't know if they did, ended up doing any work or what happened with that. Um, and this album, Nick of Time, ended up being produced by Don Was. But the title track has just got a great groove. And yeah, as I said, I'd be cruising along in my car, just loving hearing Bonnie Raitt doing Nick of Time. You'll have to sell the car once the tape player dies though, won't you? <laughs> well, I think the tape player will probably outlast the car. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I do love listening to music in the car and particularly, yeah, an old cassette. And Just as a little aside before we finish, um, what do you think of the uh, latest Lucinda Williams album? Have you had a chance to listen to that yet? Yeah, I do really love it. Yeah, a, a double album. It, it sort of, I don't know if it's up there with her classic work or my favourite of Lucinda Williams. It didn't sort of grab me immediately like all of her, the rest of her work. And I think partly that is my, you know, poor attention span. It's such a big record. <laughs> it is. I do need to spend more time with it. Um, but yeah, certainly, yeah, that was an album I, I rushed out and bought, as well as Jackson Brown's new album, of course, which I really, really like. So yeah, certainly so much great music in, in 2014. And as I said, looking forward to 2015 already with a brand new Perry Keys. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you very much. I hope that this is the first of many comebacks to the program, we hope. If you'll have me. Ah, oh, you know the door is always open to the Love That Album Studios or the door is always open to your lounge room, which can be the Love That Album Studios for when I record with you. Okay, so uh, anyway, we'll be uh, having another break. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Love That Album. Thanks, Jeff. GGTMC Live for you fresh air. Big Willie and the Samurai are at your service. Breaking films down and turning them around. Giving recommendations that are always on point. Visit ggtmc.com for more information. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Bringing class to the trash since 1977. Okay, any of you out there who've been listening to Love That Album for a while know that one of my favorite podcasts is The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, hosted by William Smith and Samurai, and they're always going and giving really interesting reviews of films uh, from all sorts of genres, be it art house or 1980s straight-to-VHS action blockbusters. 
And Will was very, very kind enough to go and submit a segment for this program. He actually joined me at the very beginning of 2014 to discuss a couple of great albums, Michael Kiwanuka's Home Again and Mac DeMarco's album too. And he's actually come out with another album over 2014 that I haven't heard yet. So that's something I have to look into. And I believe Mac DeMarco is actually coming back out to Australia. But I digress. Will Smith is here to uh, present his favourite albums, favourite first-time listens anyway, for 2014 for you love that album listeners and if you wish to follow up with will's podcast the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema you can look at ggtmc.com or just look for gentleman's guide to midnight cinema on itunes and i thoroughly recommend that you do anyway here's will hey morris it's will uh your good friend from the great white north to you to talk about my five favorite first time albums of 2014 Uh, I'll preface all of this by saying, as a man now in my mid-30s, I'm certainly not as musically in tune with what's what's cutting edge, what's popular as I once was. I think we all, as either audiophiles or, you know, lovers of music or cinephiles, we all tend to um, have more time to invest in that passion when we're young and as we get older and our time is consumed with familial endeavors. Uh, that stuff kind of falls by the wayside. So through the wonders of technology, though, you know, great blogs, um, word of mouth from friends, things of that nature, I am able to keep up a little bit with uh, music. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, a mix of albums, I guess, um, uh, in terms of year of release. I know you'd said they didn't have to necessarily be my best or favorite albums of 2014, but just albums that I, I listened to for the first time. So, um, I tend to listen, I tend to talk when I'm, fr- when I'm at work, I usually will listen to just uh, an arrangement of stuff, stuff, whether it's yacht rock or, uh, jazz. I've been really getting into the Bill Evans trio this year. Um, when I'm in my truck, I tend to, usually want to talk to friends because I don't get a chance to talk to them very much. And it's when I'm doing other things, I don't get a chance to. So it's a, it's an opportunity for me to be sort of stationary, um, and to communicate with people. Uh, so I guess this is really a long winded way of, of, well, I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say. So let me cut to the chase here and get to my five albums because I'm, I'm quickly making, <laughs> making a fool of myself. Um, the first album I want to talk about that, really gets no love um and it's it's baffling because i think it's one of the better albums in its genre for me um and its era is uh kashif's 1983 self-titled debut album kashif k-a-s-h-i-f yeah. i like working in the dark and I keep it down and nobody can see how I get down Cause then people try to copy how you get down And then they want to turn around and say I get down like this Cause she doesn't get down like this But I get down like this But, you know, I take the best of both worlds I take it with a grain of salt and I just say heck with it Have you heard the latest word? I'm supposed to be disturbed It's just a rumor Just the other night Someone said I lost my mind Those crazy Frank, 
So Kashif was an African American artist who was on the Arista label, and um, he'd written for some people. I, I want to say he'd written for people like Donna Summer, and I'm pretty sure he had written for Evelyn Champagne King, which is who was actually one of my favorite artists. Period. I think she, um, the way she was able to kind of combine great production that you could dance to, but also had a great voice. And I think she had written for her anyway. Sometimes what I'll do is when I'm at work, I'll, I'll click on a video on YouTube, you know, a song, and there'll be a playlist option you can play in the top right-hand corner. And one day, one of Kashif's uh, songs came up, um, I Just Gotta Have You, I think it was. Anyway, I was really taken by this guy, and um, he's got a really specific sound, very early 80s after disco sort of funk R&B you know I really love that sound that early 80s stuff you know the Rick Jameses of the world um, the whispers people like that um, but this album's really a good time um, I, you know I played on my truck pretty heavy rotation all year and I would highly recommend people check it out if you're looking for something kind of funky and soulful good production values it's post disco without sort of the stock kind of disco sound that that's still kind of and i love disco but that sound that was still kind of uh heavy in a lot of music at the time um so yeah uh next album is um one that i'd only gotten into in the past couple of months truth be told again because i don't have the time to devote to tracking down good music like i used to and it's the album Lost in the Dream from uh, the American group The War on Drugs. Lost in the dream Or just the silence of a moment It's always hard to tell Down in the way They cut it open and they sold it always hard to tell I saw a soldier um, tremendous album grabs you right from the beginning from from the word go um, the thing that kind of struck me, and I think this is a recurring theme with a lot of the music I listen to, is it's got a specific, specific kind of timestamp in terms of the era that it, it sounds like. And this, to me, sounded a lot like, I don't know how familiar you are with Destroyer, the group, or the singer, Destroyer. Um, great album from, I don't know, three, maybe three, four years ago, Kerput. Anyway, this sounded to me like Bob Dylan doing a... <laughs> doing a Destroyer record. And that's, again, very much sort of an early 80s sound, a little bit yacht-rocky, wordsmithy, um, but it also sounded a lot like Arcade Fire, which is kind of high praise. You know, I certainly dig Arcade Fire. I have to rep for, you know, fellow Canadians doing well. Um, but this is a really great album. It, it shifts quite well between some really introspective stuff and stuff that's a little more up-tempo, but certainly not kind of like frat rock or anything ridiculous like that. It's, it's very much um, in the indie rock world, but a uh, really great album. Um, uh, just feels very American, and, and I think that's, uh, you know, something that uh, works for me, the Americana of the album. So that's a number 
in no particular order. Number two is the War on Drugs album, Lost in the Dream. Uh, next up, and speaking of Americana, the man that probably <laughs> embodies Americana more than any is Bruce Springsteen. Now, anyone who really knows me well, uh, I've probably confessed, especially to Sammy, that I'm not quite a, f- I wouldn't say I'm not a fan of Bruce Springsteen, but I don't quite get the fuss. Um, I all, it's odd. It seems like so many of our British and Australian friends adore him. And I think there's certainly a romantic notion of what he is and what he represents, uh, at home and abroad. Um, and on paper, he's the kind of artist that I would just, I would live and breathe for. But for some reason, I never could get into Springsteen. I don't know what it was. It just, it's like, you know, a beautiful brunette, all the physical features that I would, um, care for. You know, a large bottom and um, big lips and uh, so on and so forth. I'll spare everyone the um, unsavory details. Uh, has all the things that you would want, but for some reason just doesn't turn you on. And I'd kind of danced around the album Nebraska a little bit uh, in years prior, but never really given it a great listen. And this year on our show, um, we had covered one of my favorite films, uh, Criminally Underseen. The Indian Runner, directed by Sean Penn. My name is Joe Robert. I work for the state. I'm a sergeant out of Burnville. Barracks number eight. I always done an honest job. As honest as I could. I got a brother named Frankie, and Frankie ain't no good. And it was um, inspired uh, by one of the tracks on this um, on this album. And at the time, you know, I'd uh, I'd been listening to this album a lot. It was probably late spring, and. I think this this really feels to me it evokes it's a it's a, it doesn't feel overproduced and and unfortunately I think with with Springsteen having a sound that he does I, I feel like it's not unintentionally cliche um, it it feels is dark uh, it just what a sort of blue collar working class broken dreams and broken hearts and and broken skulls I guess um, Really a tremendous album. Uh, even if you're not a huge Springsteen fan, there's a lot of great stuff. And again, he diversifies. He has some kind of um, rockabilly stuff, uh, or you kind of more up-tempo mixed in with sort of the melancholy and, and the um, the stuff. It's very much an individual album, right? So I, I really love this album, and it's it's I would say it's one of my favorite albums. Period. Uh, you know, I can listen to it over and over, and I think this time of year here in Canada. Um, late, late fall, early winter. There's a little bit of frost on the ground. The, the sky is gray. There's no leaves on the trees. It's a perfect kind of soundtrack for that. Um, so yeah, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. Next up is in a very similar vein and a man who, who owes a great deal to Bruce Springsteen. And it seems like uh, a few of the artists have that I've mentioned so far. Uh, and it's all very sort of, um, comes full circle from Dylan to Springsteen and so forth, uh, is Sun Kill Moon's album Benji. I can live with the sky falling out from above. I can live with the 
your scorn, your sourness, your smug I can live growing old alone if push comes to shove But I can't live without my mother's love I can live flying round at an impossible pace I can live with the bad etiquette that's falling on this place I can live with anything you got to throw in my face But I can't live without my mother's embrace um, Sun Kim was an artist that I hadn't... I'd been sort of aware of in passing um, but I didn't really know a whole lot about uh, Mark Kozilek's work individually or collectively. Um, and I finally decided to dig in when I'd heard some really good things about it. And uh, the thing that really impressed me about this album was a lot of times you listen to music, and, and I think one of the reasons I love a lot of old country, and I definitely don't really care for new country too much, I think the lines blurred too much between sort of jingoistic absurdity and pop um, yeah, pop music trying to have their cake and eat it too was a lot of the, the, the songwriters from Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and George Jones and all these people um, Porter Wagner etc etc great storytellers and I remember I was listening to this album in my truck and Immediately, the uh, the first album on the on the album Carissa really grabbed me, and the second album, uh, the second track on the album, I can't live without my mother's love, moved me to tears. And I, you know, I, I like art as much as the next guy, but I wouldn't call myself the kind of man who cries at a a double rainbow or at a a beautiful sunset or sunrise. Um, but it really moved me to tears, and it painted a really vivid picture of um, growing up in the Rust Belt and working class, um, it felt very earnest, sincere, sad, lived in. It, it teeters on sort of, um, at times, sort of uh, working class, three wolves t-shirt, um, poverty porn, I guess. Uh, but it straddles that line, I think, on the right side, because it it's, it comes from a sincere place. Um, and, and yeah, a very, very good album. Really top-notch stuff. So that's Sun Kill Moon's uh, album, Benji. Uh, my fifth album is uh, Broke with Expensive Tastes from Azealia Banks. My name is Peter Rosenberg, and um, we're gonna get into some new music right now. This is a record called Desperado, okay, by my girl Azalea Banks. Man, I've been waiting for Azalea Banks. Desperado. Ups and up, seductive pup, flux to the dip back up and strut. Ups like a whip with suck like a whip. Uh, an album that had been delayed for a couple years, Zelia Banks, um, you know, uh, really interesting artist. I find her fascinating because I grew up in an age when, when rap music was just coming into the forefront uh, and to the sort of consciousness of suburbia. And 
to see how it's evolved and how music and genres and subgenres in the 90s are all kind of swirling and melding together. Um, it's it's fascinating because, I mean, she, um, she combines a lot of sort of uh, 90s house music sounds um, with hip-hop and you know, electro and some really exciting stuff. And I think as a, a snapshot of artistic culture and inspiration, it, it's a very interesting album. It doesn't work all the time, but some of the tracks on the album are tremendous. She can flow as good as anyone going. I love the how brash and how um, how confident a lot of the female MCs are nowadays. I, I love Azalea Banks. I, I've been waiting for her to put something out since 212 came out a couple years ago and she had a mishap to their label and on and on it went. But it's a really, really interesting album that, that uh, works a lot more than it doesn't. And it's fascinating to me that she's at the forefront of this sub, sort of subgenre called Witch Hop, which... Um, yeah, very cool. Um, go check out 212 or um, Heavy Metal and Reflective, I guess, for kind of a taste as to what's on the album, or Chasing Time, possibly. But uh, yeah, she's she's a cool girl. Um, she's cheeky, and I love her. And I'll just close um, by saying to my most anticipated album that I, I didn't get around to this year, but I'm a huge fan of the group, is Real Estate, their new album, Atlas. even listen to it once yet and I've had it for a little while but um, I didn't want to just sort of cram it in last minute um, it's yeah they're a great group their last album days I've listened to on and on and on and on for you know for years for since it came out um, in 2011 so yeah that's the album I'm most anticipated to digging into now here at the back uh, not even the back nine I guess sort of the back one or two of holes of the year as the, so they say and um I don't want to sell Mac DeMarco's uh, album from this year, Salad Day Short, because it is a really great album, but for me, I still dig two more. This album's not as accessible for me, but I think on repeated listenings, it's going to um, sink in with me more. Um, yeah, Mac's really a, a great artist and one to watch, certainly. And honorable mention, I should say, too, to um, Tadirji, or to, I don't know how to say it, it's Danish or Norwegian. It's album time. Really great album. It's got some fantastic kind of uh, electric, electronic music, house, uh, etc. on it, um, which I'm a big fan of, So, and I have been for a lot of years. So that's it. As always, 2014 was a great year for, you, for music. You just have to do your homework. Uh, Morris, I thank you for the chance to contribute, and I've been extremely long-winded, and I apologize for that, but um, I guess it probably wouldn't be me if it wasn't long-winded. Adios. Am I making any sense to you? Thanks very much for that, Will. Much appreciate if you taking the time to do that, and I'm certainly going to look into that Sun Kill Moon album. 
All right. Uh, my son, Max, is the next presenter on this end-of-year special, and I've never sort of actually gone and asked him to do anything on the show before, which is really quite surprising because he's hugely knowledgeable about music. And, uh, well, here is Max presenting his five favourite albums of the year. Take it away, Max. Welcome back to the next segment on this end-of-year special of Love That Album, where I'm speaking to a whole bunch of people about their favourite albums of uh, 2014. As I've said previously, not necessarily new releases, but things that you might have heard for the first time this year and really, really dug. So my next guest on the program, well, this is going to be an interesting one because you've heard him before. Uh, either through the promos for my um, for the podcast, or you've seen his posts up on the Feed My Ears Facebook page. I'm talking about my beloved son Max and Max. Hello. Thanks, thanks for uh, choosing to speak on uh, the end of your show. Thanks for having me. Well, indeed, we share the house, so we might as well share the program. It's all right. So, um, your uh, favourite five albums for the year. The floor is yours. I know that uh, the program's rules are it doesn't have to be new releases, but I have chosen to do so this year. Mm-hmm. I've got all uh, new releases uh, released this year, 2014. So, without further ado, I shall dive right into my top five albums of 2014. Okay, go for it. In no particular order, my first selection is Sluggages. That's S-L-U-G-D-G-E, Gastronomicon. This is an interesting one because I heard about it through uh, The White Sofa, which is an online uh, metal reviewing YouTube channel which talks mainly about underground metal albums and the host, who calls himself Kapizzle, spoke very highly of this album. He, he said that it was one of his favorite releases of the year and I thought, oh, all right, that sounds interesting. So I sorted out and I found it on Bandcamp. So we've got a... Kev Pearson on guitars and Matt Moss on vocals and other various unsourced musicians playing all the other instruments. And this album's really an experience. It's something special. Like, you've got these pounding black metal guitar thrash tones just kind of really rip, really shred. But unlike some black and death metal artists, they know when to go full throttle and like when to pull back. Because you'll hear so many extreme metal artists who just uh, keep on going just like like a machine. But these guys, they, they have some sense of, I know when to go for it and I know when to kind of pull back a little bit. So... So for the, for the uh, listeners out there who may be uh, you know, uh, more metally astute than I am, uh, could you list one or two bands who they may remind you of? Well, I think 
At first, I think they reminded me a bit of My Dying Bride in terms of they have kind of this more soft, more tender and somewhat more sensitive sort of sounding death metal sounds. So that really got me by surprise because, you know, you don't hear that much of that. I mean, it still manages to use all this really dark, really heavy tones, but at times it's very well thought out and it's really heart-wrenching. All their lyrical content revolves around the theme that maybe they're praising this imaginary slug god. It's kind of like a joke, but it's... And, like, I know that many people will be weary of oh yeah they're just another joke band that's just a way of compensating for lack of talent but allow me to assure you it's really anything but they use this kind of funny concept but there's definitely no shortage of talent and and raw melodic power here uh, so definitely check them out like they've got this very atmospheric and theatrical aura to them and their music even incorporates intense grooves and and somewhat classical melodies like composition wise so they manage to incorporate so much but it doesn't sound like a mess at all it sounds completely natural so yeah definitely go check them out if you if you can they're on Bandcamp and get them they're good Uh, My next choice is going to be a somewhat controversial one amongst uh, fans of the more grindy death metal music. It's uh, Aborted, the Necrotic Manifesto. Aborted are far from a uh, an unknown band in the death metal and grindcore scenes, and they're most revered for some of their earlier albums, like uh, like the Saw and the Carnage Done. But lots of people have been kind of debating about this one. But I think that this album it's not anything really new in terms of in terms of how they're treating their music, but it's definitely, it's got this intensity to it, and maybe this is coming through uh, with better mixing and better recording, but it just feels much more angry. So the opening track to this, uh, called Six Feet of Foreplay, is not what you'd expect for an album like this, how you'd think it would start. It's a very eerie, very foreboding, and it makes you scratch your head a bit, thinking, Okay, I didn't know that they could do something like this. I did not see that coming. I think it's comparable with this album. It's like uh, recent cattle decapitation releases in terms of it, it incorporates catchy melodies without sacrificing the brutality. And that really works for me because I think that uh, sometimes artists will think that oh, I gotta do one or the other. I gotta pick a catchy hook or a catchy riff, or I've got to uh, find a way to make my music sound as as possible. Could you do that again? That's incredible. I didn't know you had that in you. What a great talent. Yeah. 
So, but yeah, I think that they've really captured a, a great way of mixing these great, punchy, powerful melodies with the sound of raw, abrasive music. So, as you'd expect from a Death Grind album, it's got a really fast grinding and quite technical sound. And, like, some of the riffs on tracks like the uh, titular track, The Necrotic Manifesto and The Extirpation Agenda, sound quite similar to like Prowler era Pig Destroyer so it definitely has that going for it because Pig Destroyer uh, right up there with some of my favorite bands of all time okay so my next item on the list is also funnily enough going to be uh, the cause of quite some debate it's Primus's uh, Primus and the Chocolate Factory with the Fungi Ensemble So here we have the uh, classic Primus lineup with Les Claypool on bass, Larry Lalonde on guitar, and Tim Alexander on drums. This is possibly Primus at their most insane, at their most demented. It sounds like I mean, you can tell that it's very Primus, but like some groups, as they go on in their career, they just kind of uh, soften, they pull a few more punches, they make their sound a bit more accessible, but, but Primus have really never gotten any more, I mean, maybe uh, with the exception of their previous album, Green Nordehyde, uh, with the exception of that, I think they've just continued to either stay at the same point in insanity or just get even more weird as it were. Now I, I think this album really stitches together the best of all of Primus's errors including their punk sound, uh, their kind of jazzy sound, their more funk based sound and of course their alternative sound which is all of it I suppose. But yeah I think it's it's got a way of really taking a bit from here, a bit from there, and just streaming it all into this one really great ball of yarn uh, that is just Primus down to a T. So let me ask you this, because I'd actually heard on YouTube the Primus version of Pure Imagination. Yep, that was one of the that was one of the two tracks that they released prior to the album's official uh, mm -hmm. release. Now, I I mean, I've not really listened to that much Primus, just a little bit before, so I guess I was aware of, you know, what their sound was. Yeah. And Pure Imagination, as you know, is a song 
that I hold very near and dear to my heart. And I think we had this discussion before where you said, well, maybe you don't like that rendition because it's so close to your heart. And I've thought about this, and I mean, there may be an element of truth in that, but for me, just the arrangement didn't necessarily work. And I know that there's, you know, I, I like a lot of cover versions. Of course, I can't necessarily think of something off the top of my head now, but there, I, I my whole thing about doing a cover version is make it sound different. So I'm all for the idea of taking something that may be beloved in one style and doing something completely different with it. And they certainly have done something very different here. But for me, this doesn't necessarily work. And you were right to say that this is controversial because I've seen reviews, both positive and negative, of this album. And not necessarily, the negative reviews haven't necessarily been from people who held the songs from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory you know, in, in any sort of affection. It was just, they thought, well, this just doesn't work as a Primus album. So where do you think it works for you? I mean, I know that you've gone and said, well, it's Primus doing what Primus do, but how do you think that these songs actually work in the Primus way? Anyone who knows who Primus is, which is a lot of people, because Primus are no uh, underground indie sensation, there's this need for some people to hear music uh, that takes conventions and distorts them beyond what we uh, have thought possible. So like, for instance, like a whole lot of the 90s was revolved around this idea, I'm gonna take convention and I'm going to uh, and I'm just gonna take some idea and I'm gonna just not throw it out the window but I'm going to mess with it I'm going to mold it into something different and Primus really embraced this idea of oh yeah I can do yeah we can do whatever we want because for starters Les Claypool the bassist who is an incredible bassist he's the main focus of the band there's not a moment where the bass is not at the forefront of the sound because Primus is so weird and experimental some people have grown used to a certain part of their experimental sound if that makes any sense and have just kind of latched on to that sound but the uh, members of Primus are like no we don't want to we don't want to stop there we we want to keep going with this so they just do just that and that's not that's obviously not going to appeal to everyone because like as I said it's taking everything that Primus did and it's condensing it into this one album okay for my next album oh would you believe it another controversy Oh dear. I'm just a magnet for, for <laughs> controversy, aren't I? Indeed. No, uh, this is uh, the self-titled debut by Royal Blood. So for those of you who don't know who Royal Blood are, uh, they're an English duo, 
uh, with vocals and bass by Mike Kerr and drums by Ben Thatcher. Now already you can see they don't have guitars or anything so that's a bit weird that's probably gotten a few heads turning and they've gotten mixed reviews really from lots of people like some people have accused it of being too derivative of bands of like uh, Queens of the Stone Age or the White Stripes and like admittedly Mike Kerr's vocals do sound quite similar to Jack White's at times but like the way I see it is not every album has to be a groundbreaker to be good I mean because that's the beauty of that that's the beauty of music you hear something you like and I'm not saying go out and copy music but if you find something that you like there's no shame in in making a sound that is influenced by that music well, as has been said many times before, every great band is still standing on the shoulders of another great yeah, band. Yeah, standing on the shoulders of giants. That's how that's how everything works. And I th- and the and I see that it's never a bad thing when you've got some mainstream attention to bands that are really back to basic meat and potatoes, hard rock. You, you played me um, uh, this album once while we were driving yeah. in the car recently. And I loved it. I, I was really digging what I was hearing there. I thought they were, I thought they were fantastic. Doesn't matter that they sound like what's you know, a little bit like what's come before, but it's their songs. And I think they, yep. I think songwriting, as I'm always saying on the show, is of uh, you know, maximum importance. And uh, they've done some really good stuff here. Yeah. So this has got it's got incredibly infectious hard rock riffs pummeled out on the bass. Like you, you've got a uh, you've got poor old Mike Kerr doing a double job. He has to. Uh, he has to keep the bass end of the bass. Uh, he's got to keep that playing, and he's also got to ram out these really intense, simple but really gritty riffs, all of which are amazing. I think very much they're all earworms. And you got the drums; they're just doing a great job of weaving in and out of the bass. I mean, it sounds like you've got a whole got a whole rhythm section as well as the lead section, and, and it's just it's really great. Uh, and my final album of 2014 is the 2014 demo by Radiation Vomit. Okay, so I'll be surprised if anyone here has actually heard of these guys. I mean, I just found them by chance when I was looking at a grindcore online zine. And these guys are really very much very underground, but they're really so good. They're, they've got this old school, like, carcass, napalm death grindcore sound with these massive booming guitars the drummer has so much stamina it's just like as you'd expect from a grindcore album but it's just like he goes on and on and on and is is unstoppable is is like a force of nature unfortunately i uh 
I couldn't find anywhere the names of the people in this band, which is a real shame because I'd really like to know. I'd like to search them out, see if they've done anything else. Like, I think unlike some independent grindcore, I mean, this is all a demo, which I assume has been mixed by the band itself. But unlike some indie grindcore, the drums and everything are mixed very well. You can hear everything, but it still doesn't become so polished that it sounds boring or too deathcore-like. Uh, you've got these really incredibly powerful guttural vocal growls, which just are the, the cherry on, on the cake, and it's just so... they're so guttural, they're so raw, they're so tough as nails that it's like... it hits you like a brick wall. And all I've got to say about this album is... If you're into really heavy music, do yourself a favor, get this. You can find it on Bandcamp. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. (laughs) But don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. It's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libsyn.com. It will save your life. Or maybe just help you kill an hour. Hey, all you podcast listeners, here's an update. See here. We know some of that bad brown acid has been going around, but we've got an alternative. See here. Have these headphones here. Throw them on. See here. Movies for your mind. See here. See here podcast. We discuss music-related films once a month. Find us on iTunes or at seehear, that's S-E-E-H-E-A-R, dot podbean, dot com. Just relax, listen, and float downstream. See here. Next up is Michael Persh, the host of Sitting in the Bar in Adelaide podcast, long-time friend of the show and very good personal friend. Uh, Michael contacted me fairly early on in the days of Love That Album to say that he'd heard the podcast and uh, referred me to his own, and uh, we're both big fans of each other's shows. He uh, frequently interviews a lot of really interesting people, both famous and some not so famous. He uh, gives voices to people who just might be playing down at your local pub who he happens to enjoy musically, and he'll also go and speak to some of the big names. I don't know how he does it, but uh, always really good interviews that he gives and uh, always gives a good voice to people to go and promote their music. And Michael's a big champion of the local music scene in particular. So he's gone and taken the time to uh, send a segment for this episode of uh, Love That Album, the uh, end of year special. I was hoping that he was going to be part of the Shooting the Shit crew, but unfortunately some problems with Skype. The eternally damned Skype, and no one even mentioned John Hyatt. Oh, I just went and did it. Maybe I've gone and 
cursed myself. Anyway, so uh, no, because of uh, his problems with Skype, um, Michael could only take part, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, it's still good, but um, he couldn't take part in the crew. So he's gone and sent us this really wonderful segment. So sit back and uh, listen to Michael's recommendations. Hello, Morris and listeners of Love That Album. Thank you so much for inviting me on the end of the year show to uh, talk about the uh, the five albums from 2014 that I like the best, and it's been really, really difficult to uh, to pick five. Uh, anyway, uh, Michael Persh here from uh, Sydney in a Bar in Adelaide, the uh, the rock show from Adelaide. Uh, as always, great to be part of Love That Album. All right, let's get into it. The first one, uh, and these are in no particular order. The first one is uh, the new album from Yes. Uh, as you know, Morris, I'm a huge Yes fan, and it was great to see the guys back in Australia this year, and I went over to the State Theatre in Sydney this time to see them. And what an awesome venue that is. I'm not sure if any of you guys have been to uh, to the State Theatre. It is absolutely gorgeous and a fantastic venue indeed. And uh, and Yes, we're in top form as, uh, as always. And uh, and their album from this year is called Heaven and Earth, which is the first one to uh, to feature their their vocalist that's been with them since about 2012 or late 2011. Uh, a gentleman by the name of John Davison, and uh, he has a great voice indeed. He's uh, like a, he, he his voice is so much like John Anderson. It is uncanny. And uh, and this is a, not only the first album that uh, that he sung on studio album he sung on for Yes, but also the uh, he's written a lot of the tunes, which uh, I guess is is added to the fact of how different this album is. The the last Yes album uh, was called Fly From Here from 2011, which featured uh, Benoit David, the singer at the time, and uh, most of those tunes came from. Back from about 1980, when uh, um, the guys recorded the album Drama, there was quite a bit of material left over, and um, Trevor Horn had written uh, written some stuff, and uh, and keyboard player Jeff Downs had uh, written some tunes that ended up as as uh, the title song for for Fly From Here, and and in my opinion, that was up there with the best Yes albums that they've made. Uh, so Heaven and Earth is a very different album. It's there's no real long tunes. It's, it's quite a bit more poppy, um, but it's grown, it's really grown on me. They yeah, they played a couple of tunes live. Um, one tune which which I guess has been the lead track from the album, and a tune they played called "The Game," uh, which I really like. And uh, as always, to uh, to sit down and listen to this album with a pair of headphones, as with every Yes album, is a is a great thing. It's a short album, only eight tunes, so. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm happy these guys that I grew up with way back in the early 70s are still making new music and still making great music. So, uh, yes, Heaven and Earth is is one of my favourite albums of the year. So here's a little bit of, of that tune again. the game must still we play the same As if our days remain Our lives So next up is a reissue, uh, and Morris, I know you love this one as well, Mondo Rock reissue from Chemistry this year, and uh, it really made me think what a great album this is and how much I love this album when it came out, 
and the reissue has been as great it's got uh, a huge book and a, and a live cd with it from a uh, from a live to air radio program back in uh, in the day a lot of stuff on the live disc sort of pre-chemistry tunes that they were playing live that really had gone from the mondo rock live playlist fairly shortly after that so uh, there's a lot of great stuff on there and uh, it's uh, yeah an interesting album indeed still they've re they've remixed it and remastered it and it sounds magic so uh, mondo rocks chemistry uh, great stuff indeed so uh, the title track still gets me here's a, here's a little bit of chemistry The next album is the is, a, is an album called The Dark Side from the Backsliders. The Backsliders are one of my favourite Aussie acts. They just make great blues music, but not like anything else. And uh, and Dom Turner is uh, is just a great singer and uh, just a great songwriter. And and him and and Rob Hurst, who you of course know from Midnight Oil, have been doing this for a long time now. It, it sort of became a a side band way back in the midnight all days, but they've been going for years. And uh, the the latest album is a killer. It's just great stuff indeed. So uh, there's some great musicians on this as well, like Broad Smith play some harmonica played uh, play some harmonica on this. You don't get a better harmonica player than um, than Broderick Smith. Although Ian Collard, who uh, you may may know, and I'm sure I know Morris knows uh, Ian Collard from uh, from his great Melbourne band. He plays some harmonica on it as well. And uh, Jim Magini from um, from the Oils makes an appearance. So it's a, a pretty cool list of people on this uh, on this album. And um, it was really hard to pick a tune that I wanted to play from this because they're all really good. But uh, here's a little bit of. Uh, Dark Side of Newtown, the backslide. Alright, next, next up is a compilation. And I, I'm not really a big compilation fan, but the, this year uh, a double CD was released called Then and Now, which is a, an Australian tribute to the Beatles. And I, I guess I sort of picked up on it because, A, it's 50 years since the Beatles were here in uh, in Australia, and it was a really big thing here in Adelaide. There's, there's been a lot in the media this year. I, th I think the population of Adelaide back in 64 was about half a million people, and uh, about 300,000 people turned up on the streets to meet the Beatles, which, when you think about it, is absolutely mind-blowing. And and it still stands as the biggest reception anywhere in the world that the Beatles got. So uh, the Beatles really did make one huge impression here in Adelaide, as, as they did around the world indeed. Uh, but this compilation is really interesting because it's it's all Australian artists from way back in the 60s, way up till now. So there's there's stuff... You know, big hits like Eleanor Rigby from The Zoot, which was a big hit back uh, in the day, and John Farnham's version of Help from the 70s. So there's there's a really great mixed bag of stuff, but uh, again, some stuff from from recent years, which uh, which I think is really interesting. It, it maybe just shows how uh, 
the Beatles legacy just goes on and on. And Morris, I know you're a big um, a big Beatles fan. And again, hard to pick one to play on this. They're they're all great songs, and even even the old stuff sounds sounds really good. It's it's really it was really fun to hear some of these old tunes that I that I was familiar with these covers. But uh, yeah, there's some great new stuff on there as well. So I'm going to play. Uh, Katie Noonan, who's an Adelaide lady, and she put a, a Beatles tribute album together probably a couple of years ago now, and uh, she is a great singer. I don't know how well-known well she is around the rest of Australia, but uh, this is her version of a little bit of her version of Blackbird by Katie Noonan. Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly Alrighty, last last but not least, the Black Sorrows put out an album this year called Certified Blue, and uh, the early Black Sorrows albums, probably the first four or five, I thought were just magnificent. They they changed their style so much since the the first couple of Zydeco records they made, but but after sort of Harley and Rose, to me, they sort of just plotted making the same music as great as it was, but they didn't really seem to go anywhere musically for me. But this album is back to as good as they've ever made. I guess this this is, I think, as good as any Black Sorrows album ever. And and it was was magnificent to uh, to go to um, to drop into Melbourne to Basement Discs and, and Morris joined me. We went and saw the Black Sorrows do their uh, do their lunchtime little launch for this, which which I guess made it a bit more special and made it stick in my mind a bit more. But uh, Joe Camilleri is is really a such a talented fella, and and he still is making exceptional music. And uh, and there's a there's a great reissue of uh, Screaming Targets, the JoJo's Evan the Falcons album from '79, out at the moment, which is just magnificent as well. So uh, I'm going to play a little. There's so many good tunes on this. I really didn't know where to start, but. The Devil Came Knocking on Sunday is uh, is a tune that I really like, and I loved it when I heard the title of it. It's one of those songs that, with a title of that, it's got to be cool, and it is. So uh, here's a little bit of The Devil Came Knocking on Som- Sunday by the Black Sorrows from Certified Blue. The Devil Came Knocking on Sunday I didn't mean to let him in But you know me, sugar Well, there you go, Morris. Great to be on the uh, the end of the year show for 2014. Thank you so much for having me. I wish you all the best and uh, all the best for the holiday season to you and everyone on the uh, the show and all your listeners as well from uh, from here in sunny Adelaide. Look forward to uh, to lots of great stuff in 2015 and uh, look forward to joining you and chatting about some uh, some maybe some Australian albums that folks overseas aren't from new. But uh, that's me. As I said, have a have a great holiday season in 2014, and look forward to catching up with everyone in 2015. All the best from Adelaide. Thanks again, Michael, for submitting that segment. Some great choices there, and I have to confess that uh, I am also a huge, huge fan of that uh, Black Sorrows album of 2014. Uh, Joe Camilleri shows that he still has it as a songwriting force and, and really uh, this, this lineup of the Black Sorrows, and it's really, I don't know why he calls it the Black Sorrows because there's no one from the original lineup apart from himself, but uh, in any event, 
the band who he has, the lineup is absolutely fantastic. I got to see them perform earlier on in the year while they were promoting that latest album, and uh, they really are in top form. And to my mind, Joe Camilleri is singing even better than he was uh, back in the early days of the Black Cyrus, or probably even then in JoJo's and the Falcons. The older he gets, the better he sings. So uh, that's really, really exciting stuff. So thanks once again for that, Michael. And uh, if you want to be able to listen to Michael's podcast, Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide, and I wholeheartedly recommend that you do, he's strangely not on iTunes. I don't know why he doesn't get himself on iTunes to get himself more widely heard, but then again, maybe a lot of people are sort of searching him out without having to go down the uh, dreaded Apple route. So if you want to get him just from uh, the web, go uh, search for www.podcastgarden.com forward slash podcast forward slash s-i-a-b-i-a and uh, he's always got some really interesting people coming on the show i wholeheartedly recommend that you uh, give uh, some episodes of sitting in a bar in adelaide a try if you have not done so already okay the next presenter on the program is a man who i grew up listening to on the radio mr billy pinnell he used to present a show every sunday night for many many years on what started out as EONFM, which became EONFM, which became Triple M FM. His last show on that radio station was, I think, back in 1993. Um, it's, I've got to confess, not a radio station I particularly care for, but uh, every Sunday night, because Bill worked in the library, they gave him about four or five hours on a Sunday night to present whatever it was that he wanted to, because Bill is um, really, I, I think he wouldn't like me saying this, but really Bill is a rock brain. Um, he presented a lot of music which people who might not have listened to public radio at the time, public access radio, uh, if you only listen to commercial radio, it was stuff that people wouldn't have heard. And Bill was a guy who I think effectively introduced Stevie Ray Vaughan to uh, Melbourne radio, certainly, or to Australian radio in general. Stevie Ray uh, was interviewed by Bill, I think, no less than seven times. He was very, very grateful for the exposure that Bill gave him. But, you know, he was a diverse uh, man. Uh, he's really one of those few guys who will, I guess, you know, appreciate and love Johnny Winter as much as he will love Iron Maiden. And probably Iron Maiden was first played in Melbourne by uh, Bill. Um, and really, he's very, very diverse in his taste. And a lot of listeners like myself grew up and really expanded our record collection through his recommendations and he always has a friendly manner about everything that he does and uh, it's my privilege to uh, have been able to have uh, worked with him a little bit on the radio when i was doing a uh, public access radio years ago and also uh, he's appeared on some of the episodes of uh, love that album so i was truly grateful that he uh, was able to find the time to come back to love that album to give us his 2014 picks now where we met was uh, in a food court uh, not terribly far from where Bill works. So I have to confess that the sound quality is not all the best. I didn't have uh, proper mics. We just spoke directly into the computer. It's completely understandable. You can com hear everything that he says, but you know the sound quality is not necessarily studio quality. So be wary of that. Uh, but uh, otherwise, it, he still has a lot to say that uh, you should make notes about, make some great album recommendations. So uh, without any further ado, here's uh, my chat with Billy. And I'm really, really thrilled to welcome back to the podcast uh, a man who hasn't been on the show for quite a while, Mr. Billy Pinnell. Good afternoon, Billy. Hi, Morris. Good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, really, really wonderful to have you back. We're here as uh, the first of my guests to um, talk about 
uh, albums that uh, you've really been digging on this year, so the floor is yours. All right, well, th- these are five I can remember from your phone call the other day until um, today. And I've got to learn maybe to make a note of some I really enjoyed so that someone doesn't ask me, it won't take me forever to remember them. But the ones I did remember uh, include this one. It's an album called Only Slightly Mad by David Bromberg. with Reverend Gary Davis, this was in his teens, he was born in 1945, so this would have been, I guess, in the early 60s, um, and he became really interested in lots of American-style music, bluegrass, blues, folk, jazz, country, rock. He made his first foray professionally in the music business as a studio player, and he played with people like uh, Willie Nelson, Bob Dylan. He was Jerry Jeff Walker's guitar player for about six years, Paul Siebel, Richie Havens, the Eagles, Carly Simon. Then began releasing his own albums in the early 70s, and his latest, uh, interestingly enough, isn't far away from probably what he did with the Reverend Gary Davis back in his teens, because it's got um, some traditional blues. There's a version of Big Bill Broomsy's Keep On Drinking. There's a Blind Willie Johnson song, Nobody's Fault But Mine covered by everyone, as you know, and um, stolen by Led Zeppelin, who actually took their, <laughs> took Willie Johnson's name off the record and put their own names down as composed, but that's another story. There's Bluegrass on David's new album, a Stanley Brothers song. Um, it's a medley of original composition that include an English drinking song, a Scottish reel. So there's not anything you really can't um, play well as to do with traditional American-style music. Uh, his extended band on his new album includes John Sebastian on harmonica and the nitty-gritty dirt band's violin player John McEwen. And one of the highlights, there's many highlights on the album, but David's got a real cheeky sense of humour and it comes through on a song written by another bloke who's got a cheeky sense of humour and that's Rick Estrin, who wrote and recorded a song with um, Little Charlie and the Nightcats called I'll Take You Back. And like a lot of Rick Estrin's songs, just to do with the problems he's had with women, maybe not him personally, but the person he writes about in the song. And I'll Take You Back's got a terrific line saying it's a very sarcastic song, and one of the lines is, when your mother is too tired to talk and the dead get up to walk, that's when I'll take you back. <laughs> so that's an album I'd recommend, Only Slightly Mad by, um, by David Bromberg, which I've been listening to a lot this year. And talking about Rick Estrin and the Nightcats, they've released a new album called You Ask For It Live, 
which will be released around about the same time as they're going to be touring, which I think is either the end of this year or the beginning of 2015. You just gonna lie. You better say that stuff for someone else. sister gave him a copy of a Ray Charles album called The Genius Sings the Blues when he was 12. And after listening to that, he began practicing harmonica and wanted to become someone like Ray Charles. At the age of 18, he was proficient enough to actually start sitting in at local um, blues clubs. In 1976, um, he met a guitar player called Charlie Beatty, and together they formed Little Charlie and the Nightcats and stayed together for over 30 years recorded, I think, nine or ten albums, full of estrogen, witty, dry songs, sung with a real streets, smart sort of swagger, backed by one of the truly great blues guitar players, uh, Charlie Beatty. They stopped touring in 2008 in that lineup because Charlie just wanted to spend more time off the road, had kids, same old story, they had a lot of musicians who just can't fit everything in. And so the rhythm section, Enric Estrin found a bloke called uh, Chris Anderson who'd been Charlie Musselwhite's guitar player to replace Charlie Baby. So now the band aren't called Little Charlie and the Nightcats, they're called Rick Estrin. The Nightcats, and on the eve of their Australian tour, they've released this live album recorded last year in San Francisco, and it's typical of what the band have always recorded. Rick has got a batch of new songs, all with a similar theme. New Old Lady, My Next Ex-Wife, and Never Trust a Woman, which is some of the titles of songs you'll find on this terrific live um, blues album, which I'd highly recommend if people who like is that, gonna that be sort a, of music. Is that going to be an Alligator Records yeah, release? Yeah, well, everything was released today except for the last one, which I'll talk about okay. in just a moment. Um, another one that I only got hold of just in the last uh, week or so is a compilation, two CDs. Now, the album's called When the Sun Sets Over Carlton, Melbourne's Counterculture Inner City Hub Rock Scene of the 70s. It's a mouthful. When the sun sets over Um, there's 40 odd tracks, I think over 25, 26 artists, different bands, different acts. 
and it not only includes the headline acts of the day, like Daddy Cool, Skies, Looks, JoJo's, Epimu Falcons, Mono Rock, The Sports, but bands who spawned those bands, like the Polacco Brothers that included Stephen Cummings and Joe Camilleri. The sports guitar player, Mark Narmager, first came to light in a band called The Bleeding Hearts, whose singer was a black called Eric Gradman, who, for me, the first time ever I'd seen an Australian musician playing an electric violin in The Bleeding Hearts. The High Rise Bombers were on this compilation. Our Paul Kelly's first band, Paul's next band, The Dots, were also on this compilation. Stiletto, one of our first feminine, uh, feminist bands, and included, of course, the great Jane Clifton. They're all included on the compilation, along with the legendary Company Kane, whose singer and songwriter Gulliver Smith would contribute songs to Ross Wilson's post-Daddy Cool band Mighty Cox. So as you can see, a huge variety of great Australian acts. Some didn't get to record on a major uh, label at all. One of my favourite tracks on the album is by the fabulous Nudes, a song called I'll Be a Dad For You Baby. Could have been written about you, Morris, actually. Um, bands like the Kevins, the Auto Drifters, some great bands that, that um, include musicians who still work to this day but never made it into some of the better known bands. So it's a compilation I'd, um, I'd suggest you have a good listen to, over 40 tracks and some wonderful, wonderful music of the 70s when music, Australian music came into its own, no longer were Australian bands copying off or being influenced by the Rolling Stones or Beatles or Led Zeppelin. I think from Spectrum on in 1970, Australia were far more adventurous in the music that they were writing, Australian musicians. This is a good example of a lot of great music that came from, um, from that era. One of the great jazz guitar players is not that well known in Australia, but maybe now that this CD, DVD release has become available, will become better known. His name's Pat Martino. age of 16 was all working it was already working as a member of Lloyd Price's R&B touring band by 18 he was playing with some of the great bebop artists in New York he went on the road with the Hammond V3 master uh, Jack McDuff and created a huge following in the New York area George Benson and other great guitar players who visited in New York and hardly believed their ears and eyes when they saw this young man playing with some of the great bebop artists but at the age of 30, um, Pat Martino was required to have surgery for a brain aneurysm. This is in 1980. He recovered, luckily, but left him with no memory and no ability to play the guitar at all. There's a DVD called Open Road, a documentary on Pat Martino, made in 1993, that talks about uh, his early career. The people who came to watch him play, like George Benson and the late Emily Remler, Les Paul, John Abercrombie and others who all sing his praises. Um, luckily for everybody, he made a recovery. And in 1987, um, 
one of his comeback shows was recorded at a place called Ethel's Place, I think in New York also. So the DVD's called Open Road, a documentary of Pat Martino, and the album released separately is called Live at Ethel's Place, both on uh, DVD. And if you want to see a guitar player who's not well known, we can probably hold his own with any jazz guitar player, maybe of all time. Uh, these Pat Martino DVDs are ones for you to check out. Um, another one that I've really enjoyed listening to this year is called Tales to Tell by Alex and Nilusha. Australia for many years, Chilean born. He's embellished hundreds of Australian albums from the NSO to Paul Kelly, Hudson Collectors, Daryl Braithwaite, Tina Arena. Just look him up. There are so many other great artists on which Alex Patu has added his percussion. His collaborator is a Sri Lankan born singer called Nalusha Disanaki. She's worked with Don Burroughs, James Morrison, Renee Gay, and Ross Wilson, among many others. This exceptional release, I think, it is, showcases her own compositions. It was recorded in Melbourne and Argentina, England, USA, and Cuba. We have standing contributions from local musicians that include pianist Paul Grabowski and Andrea Keller, actor musician Tommy Lewis, who plays didgeridoo and adds vocals to one track. It also includes guitarist Mike Stern, who's played with Miles Davis, Didi Bridgewater's musical director and pianist Edsel Gomez, who toured Australia with Didi Bridgewater last year. Uh, the music is a fusion of different cultures, Latin American, Asian, Middle Eastern, with bits of jazz, world music and Andean music thrown in. It's full of the irresistible percussion played on the armoury of um, Alex Patu's various instruments and this captivating voice of Nalusia who scats, sings in her native voice and in English depending on the mood of each song. So a wonderful release, I reckon, by Alex and uh, Nalusia. And my most listened to or, or watched musical item of the whole year, maybe it isn't available, but I suggest you try for it on YouTube. It's a documentary on the NC5 called A True Testimonial. Get off the jails, motherfucker! Oh, 
just some extraordinary footage on um, on YouTube of the NC5 and this documentary, which was released in the year it was completed in 2002, and it played at a lot of the music film festivals, and it got amazing responses. The New York Times described it as as a film as riveting. The Boston Globe said it was everything a rockumentary should be and usually isn't. The Washington Post called it one of the best movies of the summer. In 2007, Time Out London magazine ranked it number 48 on the list of the 50 greatest music films ever. And it's an extraordinary story about a great band, the MC5, were one of Electra's first signings as a rock band. They played and, and were formed in, um, in Detroit. Talks about their um, emergence in, in that area. They, they were far to the left and they spoke up and, and, and wrote music about issues that they thought were, were important to talk about. This film clips of, of um, US government surveillance, which was organised by the FBI because they performed but the process that took place outside the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, and Chicago police bashed most of the um, people who were watching the NC5 into smithereens. It uh, interviews, of course, the band members during the time of their success, the limited success, unfortunately, and the years after that, uh, friends and associates of the band um, were also interview and there's some amazing live footage if anyone listening to this program just goes to their computer when they're finished look on YouTube and look at the MC5 doing a live performance in 1970 at a uni on a uni campus of a song called Looking at You it's absolutely amazing Wayne Kramer who was the guitar player is mesmerizing and for a band that were playing tough rock and roll they put a lot of time into choreographing themselves and their stage movements on stage. And the footage is just quite extraordinary. And so are the performances and the story of the MC5 is extraordinary. Um, they came to an unfortunate end. They struggled on as lots of bands do and they probably shouldn't have. Uh, three of the five members now aren't with us anymore. That's all talked about in uh, this documentary too. But as I say, it might be a bit tough to get because as happens a lot, there's been uh, some um, legal situations going on with Wayne Kramer, who he says was asked to be music director at the time, but when the movie came out, he wasn't credited um, with being music director, so he sued the filmmakers. The lawsuit is still going. As far as I know, the film uh, has not been available since um, since the early 2000s. But check it out on YouTube, NC5, a true testimonial, quite an extraordinary documentary. I want to ask you, did you uh, get the chance to see the uh, reunion show that they um, that they did? Uh, when would have been back in the early 2000s, I think they were touring around America using a rotating series of guitar players and guests. It's mentioned in came... the documentary, yeah. yeah, it's a bit sad. Yeah, it's mentioned in the documentary how they were invited to go to England by some bloke who wanted to present them to an English audience. They went, they didn't get paid, they were stranded there. Familiar story. So it, it's got so much drama in the film. But Wayne Kramer comes out as quite an extraordinary man who, to this day, with people like Billy Bragg and other musicians, raises funds to put musical instruments into jails where people that are there, long-term prisoners, short-term prisoners, can do something more than be breaking rocks or wandering around a yard playing basketball. 
there's a lot of stuff about Wayne Kramer on YouTube too that's worth looking at and uh, it's just something I hope people will investigate. Maybe this will just um, um, incite you to do that. The MC5 were a very important band for their time and um, it's just a story that while it has got familiar aspects, it's still one that's really worth um, investigating. So that's my lot for um, our little shot today. Thank you very and much. many other great records that I'm sure other people will be talking about here. Indeed. Uh, okay, so thanks very much for that, Bill. Good on, uh, Morris. We're going to have a quick break and we'll be back with uh, some more recommendations for you. You're listening to Love That Album. In a world where podcasts last over three hours, you have no concepts of time. Balaban Studios presents. A stinking pause. Take your stinking pause off me, you damn dirty ape. Starring Scotland. Yeah, be prepared for me to have a little bit to say about that one. And Charles. If Leslie Grantham can do it, and so can I. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Stinking Paws Movie Podcast, available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Hotter than any uncurbed passion since last tango in Paris. There's the Facebook group and you can follow us on Twitter, at Stinking Paws. You've never laughed more at sex or a picture about it. And download all our episodes at the stinkingpaws.blogspot.co.uk. Okay, we're up to the last segment of the show. I hope you've enjoyed all that you've heard until now. I've certainly enjoyed putting them all together. This last segment was recorded by a man who has also been on the Love That Album podcast just once. He uh, came into the Love That Album studios to talk about the album Sweetheart of the Radio by The Birds. And this is a man who is certainly no stranger to any rock music fans who watch his television show. The show is called Rock Wiz. Yes, I'm talking about the one, the only, Brian Nankervis. Brian is a man who loves his music. Brian is a man who loves to talk about music. So what started out as what was going to be a 15-minute segment, well... It went for a little bit longer, uh, but everything that he says, at least to my ears, is riveting, and I hope that you'll find it riveting too. So, uh, without any further ado, here's Brian Nankervis. Hello, and welcome back to this end-of-year episode of Love That Album. Uh, I've been saying it all through the show, but I'll remind you again, just in case you've had a temporary memory loss, this episode is dedicated to uh, asking past presenters of uh, Love That Album and uh, fellow music fans what their favourite listens for 2014 are. And I'm very excited because I'm welcoming back a man who hasn't been on the show in quite a while, but uh, I think might have been within the first 12 months of me doing the show. Uh, Mr. Brian Nankervis came on to discuss the bird's sweetheart of the radio. Brian, thanks for uh, coming on the uh, on the show. Absolute pleasure, Morris. And uh, the funny thing is I fished that album from the wall the other day, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, because I was uh, playing my 16-year-old daughter the new Bob Dylan bootleg series, which is, uh, of course, as your listeners will know, I know I can be confident in that, (laughs) esteemed listeners, uh, is a collection of all the material that Dylan and the band, pretty much most of the band, Levon was only there for the last couple of sessions, uh, and has been released as the Basement Tapes. And 
one of those songs uh, that's featured is You Ain't Going Nowhere, and they do a very clever thing on this. That I bought the two CD set, which in retrospect I should have bought a lot. <laughs> the opening track of the second CD is the sort of early version of You Ain't Going Nowhere, and Dylan's obviously just sort of riffing and, and improvising lyrics. But the, the, you can feel the rhythm and the, the musicality of it is there. And then the final track is the, the sort of version that we, we roughly know. But I wanted my daughter to hear the bird's version. And so, yes, the circle is complete. And was the impression good on her? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, we do this thing where she's learning to drive. So I supervise her driving to school each morning. It's only 10 minutes. But one morning she can play her latest favourite, which, you know, could be a Taylor Swift mm -hmm. or a Miley Cyrus or a Lord. Uh, and I've heard some stuff that I really like. And then other mornings I get to play, you know, the stuff that I'm enjoying. It's good. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um, have a bit of a yes. chat about your favourites for 2014. Yeah. Look, I was delighted to be asked. Uh, I'm going to start with a CD that came out probably in the first quarter of the year. Um, a band that, it's a Victorian country band they call themselves uh well they maybe don't but i will the pride of the riverina <laughs> up around uh echuca and robin vale and they're a band that i came across i'd heard about them on triple r listening to the johnny von goes show one of their uh artists jimmy stewart used to play in the warner brothers and overnight jones the uh, dan warner's mob so I sort of knew James, and in fact, I taught a friend of his, which when he was about eight years old. But um, but I love the t I love the sort of sound of them. And then about four or five years ago, I was driving through country Victoria, stopped in an op shop in Castle Maine, and bought one of their early albums, uh, "Smartest Kid in Town," and I completely fell in love with the whole album, mm. you know, one of those albums that you just, you, every day you play it and you discover a new favourite song, which to me is, is one of the great joys of life. And I was hanging out for more, but for three or four years there wasn't any more or I couldn't find it. Anyway, they've just put out an album this year. It's called Long Time Coming and it is a fabulous release. Uh, featuring the normal band, Andrew Papillo, Charlie Wilde, James Stewart, Miles McNichol on drums and Alice Gate-Eastley on bass and vocals. Uh, Michael Barclay from The Messengers has played on some of their stuff on drums. They've had a variety of uh, 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 players, but it's Andrew and Charlie and James are the, are the sort of heart of the band. Garrett Costigan plays pedal steel on this and has played on other albums. Garrett, of course, plays with Don Walker and a whole range of people. I reckon this album is a beauty. It's called Long Time Coming. It's classic T-Bones fare. Mm -hmm. You sort of, you know what you're getting. Great guitars, but really great songs, great stories, great lyrics. And I, I emailed... 
uh, Charlie because I couldn't buy it. I, I'd heard it on the radio. I couldn't buy it in any shops. So I thought, oh, we'll do the modern thing. Went to the website, <laughs> got the email address, emailed him, and he came straight back saying, yep, uh, this is how you do it. There was a CD in the mail. I got it two days later. I went back and I said, thank you. And, you know, he said, oh, well, you know, we're doing some gigs and I ended up filling in for someone on Triple R and I had them in. Um, I went to a gig and, and felt like a sort of kid again, you know, like a mad fan. I was up the front singing and... It was great. It was really, it's been a really wonderful thing. And he sent me a couple of their old ones. Um, so I'm, you know, it's great to think that at the age of whatever I am, late 50s, you can fall in love with a band and you've got this great back catalogue. So the T-Bones, uh, do I give you, tell you what track I'd love you to play? Please, please I'm going to do that. The one that really, well... First track's a beauty, big train, learn to fall's good. But the one that I used to play very loudly on the way to uh, a gig just to fire myself up, track four, get yourself around here, the T-Bones. <laughs> sipping tea so let's go oh, look just uh, the albums that uh, the pile that didn't quite make it to albums of the year and i'm sure there's others but i did want to mention uh, the reissue of the first models album mm -hmm. alpha bravo charlie delta echo foxtrot golf mm. which have got some of my real favorite model songs um pull the pin the mark ferry song kissing round corners Happy Birthday, IBM, and it's also got the Cut Lunch EP. Oh, right, nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. with two cabs to the toucan. So big, big models fans. So the, the models over the last year or two have been doing a bunch of... <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Mark Ferry is such a busy fellow. I he, know. He, I, I think you have some sort of relation. Yes, 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 yes. Mark is the bass player in the Rockwiz Orchestra. And also uh, the Mercurials, always doing yes. a lot of stuff with uh, Adi and uh, Andrew. Andrew Pendlebury. Uh, he also is plays guitar with the Johnny Vongos, the JVG 
guitar method. Uh-huh. Mark is a busy boy. He plays with Ross Hannaford occasionally. In fact, we've just finished um, five Sunday nights at the Ding Dong Lounge doing um, the Gree Gree. The Dr. John yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, saw that advertised. Wow, I only saw that too late. But... It was really good. I think we're going to do some more next year. Vicar and Linda Bull... Uh, Gary Gray from the Sacred Cowboys and Bruce Hames. Who else? Lucky Luscombe on drums, Mark on bass, and Ross Hannaford mm, on I've, guitar. I've been seeing Ross Hannaford busking around yeah, uh, Flanders Lane uh, near, near the uh, yeah. City Library. I'm yeah. thinking, my goodness. I know. What a town this is. <laughs> you can is. see Ross Hannaford busking. Yeah. Uh, so that was a, the models didn't quite make it, but really great. I really like the new CW Stone King mm-hmm. with um, I don't know much. I've never seen him live, and you know, sort of interesting character because it's sort of is it a character? Is he real? Is, he, <laughs> is this sort of this odd uh, the way of speaking a sort of patois? It sounds like he's. Well, uh, but it's really great. Yep. And, um, you know, interesting background. My mum and dad, American, lived on a, a, a mission around Papania for years. So he's sort of got this indigenous speak, Koori speak, and American. But he's, this album is great, I reckon. Gone Boogaloo. I've only just got it the other day, so I'm okay. can't, not really able to speak about it. Love the D-lines. I desperately wanted to go to the out on the weekend Yes. Uh, festival. I unfortunately didn't get to as a bunch of reasons, but yeah. they, my, the thing that drew me to it was the Delines, Delines. and Robert Ellis. I don't know yeah. if you've heard his album of this year. Um, yeah, yeah, the, out by the chemical. Uh, Lights, Lights of the Chemical Plant yeah. that is just a killer album, yeah. absolutely killer. Yeah, so these guys are great. You know, the, the guy who started the band is uh, Willie Vlorton. Mm who's the main guy with Richmond, Richmond Fontaine. And, a, and a, 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 I'm not that I've read anything he's no. read, but apparently a really great author too. So he's put this together. He sort of formed this band because I think he was writing songs that he could hear a woman singing. Mm. And um, it's it's good. It's a lovely album. Yeah, it's a really great album. And then the other one, the last one, and I'm sure there's others, but um, it's all a bit rushed, is Andy Kentler. Do you, do you know Andy? No, I don't. Andy's a St Kilda boy. He played with a band who I'm not that familiar with uh, called Glide years ago. Oh, yeah. that, that name's them. Was that Ash Naylor involved with that? I don't think so. Oh, no, I don't Ash. know why I have that association. No, that was the Grapes. No, 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 no. Besides the Grapes, besides even, oh. uh, we've spoken with Sherry Rich this year about the Grapes. Yeah. Uh, Reformation yeah. albums, uh, but um, I seem to have this feeling like you know, back in the day when Even was supposed to be his only project. Yeah. I, I might be completely wrong. Uh, I'd have well, to edit this out. That's no. <laughs> I, I, I think you leave it in and you let people do some, uh, let their fingers do the walking. Done. I know Andy because uh, he's a, a dad at our local primary school, oh. and we would occasionally St Kilda Primary. Um, happy to mention that, and we'd have. Trivia nights, we'd have comedy nights, we'd have rock and roll nights, and in fact, we ha- we have a fate every two years, and I normally organise a rock quiz for kids, you know, for the for the kids. And he had a cover band called Sixty Four Falcon, 
and they were they was our they were our house band, and they are a great mm. band. And he's a very charismatic lead singer, plays guitar, and Sixty Four Falcon would do classic songs. You know, they do. Suffragette City, they do Brown Sugar, they do All the Day and All the Night, like really great covers. Mm. Well, he's recorded a solo album, all original, but you can tell he's listened to and he's played a lot of great songs. And um, this is a beauty. It's I, I would really recommend it if you like sort of rock and roll with a with I suppose with a sixties sheen. Mm -hmm. Dave Mole is on it, who plays with Freddie Negro. Mm -hmm. Um Andy but Andy's the main guy. There's a great song called Ryland's Cadillac, which is about, about Ian. wanting to buy Ian Ryland's yeah. Cadillac. Nice. So uh yeah. All right, let's get back to the top five. We started with the T Bones. I got two compilations this is one that I know you are familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called When the Sun Sets Over Carlton. There is a uh, byline that reads, Melbourne's countercultural inner city rock scene of the 70s. And this is the this is the compilation I've been waiting for. Dave Lang's been talking about this for years. I think he originally, he sp we spoke about, he wanted to put together a dots, a Paul Kelly and the dots. Mm comp but i think paul is a bit um, he's disowned all of that yeah material, isn't he? he doesn't like it and he <laughs> keeps saying oh you know i wish i could round it all up and put it in a big bin <laughs> and, and i think and i think i'm a massive paul kelly fan and that's how i first you know i, I spent well from 79 to what 82 seeing the dots as often as i could oh, and wow. martinis and um Hearts and the Kingston, and I just thought they were incredible. So I've never quite got Paul's reluctance. I think I don't think he likes the voice. I don't think he likes the the production, but the playing was always great. Anyway, Dave gave up on that and instead put together this incredible collection. So band rock and roll bands in Melbourne from sort of I suppose seventy early 70s through to late 70s and it's when i started seeing bands and so you got skyhooks you got the sports you got jojo zepp the dots uh, stiletto jane clifton's outfit daddy cool later period daddy cool bleeding hearts mark gillespie mm. suicide sisters on here paul's band before the dots the high-rise bombers are here with uh, martin armager mm. um who else? Spare Change, Parachute, Captain Matchbox, Company Kane. And I think we need to just pause and pay tribute to the late Gulliver Smith, That's who right, yeah. passed away just last week, mm. who was the, the guy behind Company Kane. And that's a great track, Buzzing With My Cousin. Um, Mertzeps are here, uh, the Palaco Brothers. The Leisure Masters, Peter Lilly, The Fabulous Nudes, I'll Be a Dag for Your Baby. This is, this is incredible. I mean, so, I mean, so a, a lot of the names, I when I got that, I mean, I went purely on, I, I guess, um, on the basis I enjoyed everything else yeah. we compiled before. And I, and I mean, obviously, there were the big names, you know, yeah. JoJo Zepps and yeah. Skyhooks, but I thought, well, it's in good company. It's Melbourne-based. Yeah. I want to hear what the rest, and some of these names, 
obscure to me yeah. as I still let well, How old are you? I'm I've just turned fifty. Oh well, uh, see I got a but, I got a few and a lot of, and a lot of those a lot of those band names so a, lot of, a lot of the venue names that they list in there were oh, I don't know that now, but, uh, Bombay Rock obviously was the big one yeah. that I knew everyone knew Bombay Rock. Yeah, no the but, little ones were the ones that uh, there was one in particular where I first saw my first rock and roll band as a sort of you know eighteen year old was uh Martinis in Rathdown Street, mm. and that I saw the dingoes there, and a bit of this stuff is recorded there. And we used to see Jojo Zepp all the time, and you'd, you know, you'd pay four dollars to get in, you'd get a little ticket, and you'd get a bit of pizza, and yeah. stand up the back. And um, but no, look, Dave Lang from Warner's has done an incredible job. And this, this double is a ripper, and then there's a whole lot of others. He's also done a, a sports reissue and a JoJo set. I just got my reissue of uh, um, of uh, Screaming. Screaming Targets because yeah, my vinyl was yeah. pretty beat yeah. up. Um, and I should sort of make note at this point that the first episode of Love That Album for 2015 will be an interview with Dave Lang, the compiler of this incredible compilation right. and a bunch of others. Uh, and we'll be talking about his work on all these compilations, a, uh, a great historian, great music yeah. historian, uh, a great advocate of uh, Australian music. Yeah. These compilations um, will be certainly worth your time. If, if you're Australian, oh, you yeah. know their importance. If you're listening from overseas, search, search these albums out, wait for the interview, be convinced and then go search these out. So if you um, if you're a fan of anything that Rhino Records puts out, then yeah. these the, the packages are great with Beautiful. great liner notes, essays. Yep, Jen Jewel Brown has written a lot, and um, I, I think it's a really it's a snapshot of a time. And it's some of these little bands, um, as I say, the Fabulous Nudes. The Auto Drifters, the Palaco Brothers, Peter Lilly and the Leisure Masters. There was a real push in Melbourne, and you don't hear a lot about it, but bands that, that were sort of a, it was rockabilly, but it had a sort of, not a, maybe a little punk vibe, but it also came out, because a lot of it came out of Melbourne's theatre scene. You know, Johnny Topper, Peter Lilly, these guys, even Stephen Cummings, they'd sort of flirted with Melbourne's theatre scene. You know, Helen Garner has written mm. some lyrics on here, one of the um, stiletto songs. And so it's got, it's quite ironic and it's quite funny. So you've got Johnny Topper's I'll Be a Dag for Your Baby, um, you know, truck driving guru. Like Peter Lilly, who's sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Peter Lilly wrote Holiday House, The Ute that Daddy Cool recorded, Hanging Round the House. This, oh, yeah, can't, can't, uh, can't talk, uh, can't talk enough. In fact, why don't we? Can I suggest a song? Absolutely. And I, because I reckon, because you have some overseas listeners. Uh, we do have some overseas listeners. Well, overseas listeners, here's a little slice of Melbourne mid-70s sort of, Humour, uh, uh, but but with a great beat. And uh, Johnny Topper wrote this. Uh, it was the f it's the fabulous nudes, and it's I'll be a dag for you, baby. I'll be a dag for you, baby. I'll be a dag for you, baby. Dirty rag for you, baby. I speak French for you, darling. 
Some crazy man red. I'll be a dying for you, baby. I'll be a dying for you, baby. A dirty rag for you, baby. Big turk for you, dying. Beautiful. Okay, album number three in my top five. I'm Brian Nankervis. I'm not sure who you are, but you know that. Now, look, there's been a lot of press. In fact, really, the internet has almost crashed, I would think by nutty Bob Dylan fans getting excited. The Bootleg series is a series of reissues of hitherto previously unreleased material. Uh, Dylan's record company has done an incredible job. I think the first one was about 92. The Bootleg series volume one, which was a triple CD set collecting unreleased stuff, you know, alternate versions, live stuff, and, of course, that had the great Blind Willie McTain. I was going to say, it was worth the price of admission alone for Blind Willie McTain. Who knew that an album track that it was left off uh, under, you know, Dylan's uh, insistence mm. would turn out to be often included in top ten Bob Dylan songs? I yeah. Mean, you know, you cut it for, I think, Infidels. It was for Infidels, yes. And decided that it shouldn't be on the album. Amazing. Which is, I, I'm, you know, I think it's great that he's quirky like that and he's a true artist. And uh, anyway, so there's been uh, probably, there's been another 10. This is the 11th. Amazing things, you know, concerts from 62 in New York City, um, there was a live set from Rolling Thunder. Right. The the, the Whitmark yes, demos was that's the right. previous one. Yeah. Uh, and I reckon I've got most of them, but this is one that I was really hanging out for. The Basement Tapes, um, the story is so well known. I'll give you the, the, the potted version, and potted being uh, an appropriate term probably. <laughs> Uh, Dylan did the, the huge world tour in 66. Uh, things were getting a little tangled. Things were getting frayed. He took the, the Hawks out. Um, Robbie Robertson, Garth Hudson, Richard Manuel, Rick Danko. And originally, I think, Levon was playing drums but couldn't take the booing. So uh, they got another chap who's... Mickey Mickey, Mickey Waller? No, he played with Rod Stewart. Mickey Jones. Mickey. <laughs> and um, very famous, very legendary. The first half was acoustic and the, the Bob Dylan nuts were happy with that. Second half was loud, raucous, perhaps amphetamine fueled, perhaps just fueled by Dylan's tiredness and his desire to do something truly unusual and he wanted to rock you know he he loved rock and roll he loved 50s rock and roll Mm. so really it wasn't that uh, unusual it wasn't really something that was out of left field but because the Dylan 
army was just loving him playing an acoustic guitar and doing protest songs, they couldn't cope. So anyway, it, it, it all culminated and he got called Judas and he said, you know, I don't believe you, you're a liar and turned to the band and said, play fucking loud and they played this incredible version of Like a Rolling Stone. Mm. Came to Australia, did that, did it in Europe, had a break went up to his manager's place in Woodstock, hopped on a motorbike, had a crash. The story is that he broke vertebrae in his back and he broke his neck and, you know, he was almost died. There's another story that says perhaps it wasn't that bad, but maybe this is a, a, a chance to have a break, get off the treadmill, uh, and he did, mm. and he cancelled the tours, and and he went through this remarkable change. He looked different. He looked like this sort of country gentleman. He had a family, mm. raised a family with Sarah, Sarah, and they lived in Woodstock. Um, the manager, Albert Grossman, you could imagine, was thinking, well, this is all very well, but where's my money coming, yeah, yeah. where's my income, yeah. and encouraged Bob to do some demos for other artists. So Bob got the boys, the band, uh, minus Levon, together, and they just played. And I think it was part wanting to write demos and record demos, and Garth Hudson recorded everything on a little two-track. But I think it developed into this thing was like a clubhouse you know they they have coffee they might um smoke a uh, jazz cigarette or two and they jam and dylan was still writing furiously and so they did i think it was like six months the summer of 67 and in 75 so the demos came out you know peter paul and mary recorded too much and nothing the birds recorded um you ain't going nowhere um brian auger recorded this wheels on fire manfred mann had a hit with mighty quinn you know these are incredible songs i shall be released came out of that tears of rage these are phenomenal songs mm. and Dylan was just writing them. He'd go, you know, Garth Hudson reckons that he'd go upstairs and he'd type madly on an old Olivetti typewriter and come down and say, here's a new one. I mean, you know, the man is, is phenomenal. And so, so they were demos, then they were bootlegs, then there was an official release in 75 that Robbie Robertson oversaw uh, with a, a sound engineer... Fabroni or someone and they were great and we all bought them and we loved them and, and there was a handful of band songs as well mm -hmm. but people knew there was more and then thank goodness for the uh, bootleg fraternity that's right and so the bootlegs came out and I've got a one that's, that's got all these incredible songs you know Johnny Cash's Big River and Joshua Gone, Barbados. But that one had Sign on the Cross as well, French didn't it? Girl, Sign yeah. on the Cross. Mm. So we knew about it, the collectors had it, but still nothing happened. Well, this year, everything has come out. As it says on the back, the basement tapes have existed in many different versions, from bootlegs to an official release in 75. Here they are for the first time, raw, original, untouched, no overdubs, sounding as close as possible to the 67 sessions that spawned 
the legend. It's a great story. You can buy the two CD set, which foolishly I did, thinking that <laughs> I don't have time for the six or maybe the seventh CD set, but I think I should have. I just thought, man, life is so full. Yep. Do I need four versions of See You Later, Alan but Ginsberg? You're, uh, but you're the, well, the Dylan well, King no, of I Australia. Know, no, 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 there's, there's many more. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm on the committee, <laughs> Morris. I don't deny that. So I think I'll get it and this will go to someone else. But it's, be- it's incredible. So you get, you know, the ones that were on the original Basement Tapes, Open the Door, Homer, Odds and Ends, Million Dollar Bash, Ain't No More Kane. Uh, but then you a Clothesline Saga, which is sort of a maybe an answer to Ode to Billy Joe. Mm-hmm. And then you got all this other stuff. As you said, Sign on the Cross, um, I'm not there. All you have to do is dream. Minstrel boy, 900 miles from my home. There's a version of Folsom Prison. Uh, Johnny Todd. These incredible original, uh, traditional, I should say, songs. Anyway, look, I could talk Bob all day, and uh, the listener doesn't need that. Let. Oh, what do we play? Um. All right. Well, let's get a bit wacky. Let's play. Let's play two versions. Okay. Well, of what we can of "You Ain't Going Nowhere." The first one, as I mentioned before, is the Bob Dylan improvising bizarre lyrics to a to a a, a, a sound structure that's pretty much there. And then we'll play one that was obviously recorded maybe that afternoon or maybe the next week. We don't know. We can dream. Uh, with a bit more the lyrics are a bit more as they would turn out you ain't going nowhere now look here dear soup you best feed the cats the cats need feeding you're the one to do it get your hat feed the cats you ain't going nowhere So swift, rain won't lift, gate won't close, ratings froze. Get your mind off winter time, you ain't going nowhere. How many letters they send Morning came And morning went Pick up your money And pack Done. up your Beautiful Alright, let's keep going Time's marching 
Okay, uh, a local band. Uh, not, are you familiar with these guys? We actually had Van Walker talking about that on the podcast this year. Excellent. The great Van Walker. And, in fact, on this you get the Walker brothers. Mm, we do. Cal and Van, uh, for those who may not have uh, remembered that last podcast, Cal and Van are Tasmanian boys, came across here maybe six or eight years ago, got friendly with um, all the right people, including uh, Mick Thomas from Weddings Parties, and, and Mick did some production and certainly did some encouraging. Uh, Van's partner is Liz Stringer, the great Liz Stringer, and they've hooked up with uh, ex-Weddings Parties Anything drummer, ex Paul Kelly and the Messengers, Coloured Girls drummer Michael Barclay, who not only is a great drummer but a fabulous harmony singer. That's probably what drew me. Hey, Michael, we're yeah. going to do a harmony band. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Oh, he loves his harmonies. It doesn't he? And it's so it's sort of it's got a birds vibe. It's got a teenage fan club mm. vibe. Mm. Tom Petty. Yep. I reckon you can hear echoes of Tom Petty, and they they recorded two albums. Look at this, at a beach shack in Inverloch, Victoria, uh, Australia, January 2011. That's the driving instructor arriving in the background. I think we'll keep going for my daughter. Um, and this one is waiting on the last minute, and I think this was actually recorded first, but released second. Someone, I ran into someone the other night who said that the other one is even better, which I haven't heard. That seems to be the... Oh, so the common perception, is a lot of people say that that one's the better. Personally, I consider them equally great. There's enough um, great songwriting chops uh, and obviously performance on yeah. both. I think that the perception is, at least from the band, is that this one maybe rocks a little bit okay. more than the first one, but I love them both. So you reckon if I love this... Oh, you'll love you'll love the first right. one. They're, they're they're not like a long way yeah. from each other. They're they're part of the same sessions. Um, yeah, I, I yeah I consider they could have easily if they decided to go that way made it one double album or put all on the same yeah. CD or whatever. It's it's really fantastic stuff. I mean, it's you know risking it all since you came along. This yeah, they're just great. Um, there is some um, interesting use of a chainsaw. On one of the songs, was it? Uh, is it uh, which one? Kill for conversation. I'm I think. struggling to recall. Well, there you go. Oh no, maybe Pistol Pete. Anyway, I reckon I like I like the real short, poppy ones, the power pop ones. So I'm so gonna select. Can I select? You, you may. I suspect I know which one you're gonna pick. But go for it. Well, it's 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 uh, it's around here. That's, uh, well, I could have gone with the first one, risking it all, mm -hmm. but I'm going to go with Around Here. It's okay. short and sharp and uh, great songwriting. I've had the pleasure of uh, sharing a stage with Van Walker uh, oh. in a, on a sort of Mick Thomas theatrical production. Right. Vandemonian yes. and Lags. And Liz was involved too, and uh, they're great artists and... Um, Lovely folk. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was uh, it was truly a pleasure to be able to talk to Van. It would have been. Uh, for the podcast. And I remember saying to because my introduction to him was funnily enough through the compilation that came out in two thousand and ten underneath the radar. He'd done like five albums yeah. in two years, and so he was already up for yeah. a best of. And the song that 
instantly hit me was Down to Earth. And I asked him, I said, oh, that was my introduction right. to his album, that song in particular. He said, well, that's actually yes. with the daisies. You know, yep. So this has been a, a while in, yep. in coming. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, Down to Earth's a great mm-hmm. one too. Yeah, all right. Let's have, let's have a let's so which one? Uh, rare. Uh, I reckon around here. Around here. Let's have a listen. Round here, nothing really changes. Round here, the people are the same. Round here, life is what you make it. Round here, these days. Round here, you start off at the bottom. Round here, forget about the top Round here, be thankful you're forgotten And grateful for what you're now Round here Round here, there's nothing but confusion Round here And finally in terms of my top five albums, it's hard to put them in an order, but I'm going to. And I'm putting this at number one. That's a big call. Yep. Well, just in terms of breadth, in terms of diversity, and it's just in terms of an album that I keep playing. I did have, had a job in Shepparton the other night, and the job was okay, but the drive from Shepparton to Melbourne on a on a sort of balmy evening listening to this record was just a joy. It's the new Lucinda Williams album. It's a double, so there's a lot of material on here. I think it's a triple vinyl. Mm. The album is called Down Where the Spirit Meets the Bone, and I think this is her masterpiece. Um, I've loved her really from... The start, um, for those who are not sure, just the brief history, she's a southern gal from uh, down sort of Louisiana way, maybe Lafayette, put out a couple of albums on the Rough Trade label, I think it was, but two albums of sort of traditional blues country songs, and they were pretty great. But it was her third album, which was self-titled, just called Lucinda Williams, that really made her uh, her fame, I suppose. And they had Passionate Kisses, which Mary Chapin Carpenter recorded and had a big hit with. Uh, I Just Want to See You So Bad, Change the Locks, mm. which Tom Petty... There was that um, program, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like on the, one of the country... TV networks yeah. in, in the states where they got um, they got uh, musicians like one from the rock world, one from the country world oh, yeah. to do like each other's songs and a couple of covers. And she did uh, a, a show with well someone who's very country okay with Elvis Costello. Oh yeah, and their version of Change the Locks just ripped the Would place apart. It was fantastic. Yeah. So that was the one that everyone sat up and really took notice of, the self-titled. That was around about 1988, maybe, 89. Then she put out Sweet Old World, which was another really strong album. Um, I think 
Emmylou Harris recorded mm. Sweet Old World. And, um, Wrecking Ball. Yeah. And it's got Pineola and um, something about what happens when we talk. And she came out to Australia and I saw her. Then, of course, there was a big gap uh, while she was recording the album that ultimately was her biggest and most popular. And she won Grammys and... Um, produced by a, a couple of producers and I think there was some fallings out and there was some, I think she's a I think Lucinda you know there's been there's been battles and she's a real perfectionist um, and the original producer was a guy called Gerf Morlix mm. I think they fell out then she started working with Steve Earle and Ray Kennedy perhaps and I think this thing's got a bit tense there but ultimately produced um, that album Car Wheels on a Gravel Road that was massive for her. Then there was a, a whole lot of albums, most of which are fabulous, but some of them I was, like, I really like West. Um, what else was there? Essence, Essence is really good. I love that. That's that's probably my favourite. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I, I Cherish the Rain yeah. is just, for me, it, it's like a... A pinnacle yeah. in songwriting. I absolutely okay. adore that. Okay, but I mean the whole album is great. But yeah, yeah, I, I know the title track's fantastic. Then she was a live album at a Fillmore, right? Fillmore East. West, I think, is great. West was produced by. Oh, that's bad. You keep talking because it's just over here. Hal Hal Wilner who's a sort of American theatre guy mm -hmm. who, you know, did those big shows. I think he did the Leonard Cohen Dance Me to the End. Oh, right. Something or, you know, Nick Cave was involved. I think he did something with Marion Faithful. But I reckon this is a really great album, West. Anyway, the new one came out. I, I, I was a bit reluctant at first. I thought, oh, it's a double, you know, double album. It's hard. And sometimes with Lucinda, the voice can be a little, you know, she's got that real drawl. Mm. But I bought it and it took a while. There was a couple of key songs. There was one called Stand Right By Each Other that I love. There's one, the second track is called Protection, which has got a sort of Tom Petty feel. And then the whole thing just opened out for me and... The playing is phenomenal. Lots of the songs are six, seven, eight minutes. Uh, I heard an interview with her where she said, I don't like fade-outs. And so she just kept, excuse me, keep playing, keep playing, and then the, someone would stop it. There's a really interesting guest list uh, on the record. I think uh, Costello's guys, um, Pete Thomas. Pete Thomas and the bass naive, player. Is no, I'm not sure if Naive is on this, but um, the bass player whose yeah. name I forget because he's not, he's not Pete Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> so they're on it. Uh, Ian McGlagan, who used to play with the Small Faces, right. is on here. Bill Frizzell. Bill Frizzell, my hero. Yeah. Well, have you, the final track, mm. she, she does this incredible 10-minute version of the J.J. Cale song Magnolia. And it features a lot of Bill Frizzell. Mm. And um, I just think it's a stunning album. There's, it's. Um, I remember someone saying it reminded them of a sort of Brill building. There's like, so there's really great sort of song structures. There's great pop 
smarts, if you mm. like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this one song, Stow Away in Your Heart, which is just a great... You can imagine people covering these, whereas normally her songs are so distinctive, whereas this, there's one called um, Wrong Number, this beautiful ballad. There's another soul sort of thing with great horns called One More Day. I just think it's stunning. I really think it's a staggeringly good album. What track should we recommend to the listeners to... Um... Well, why don't we play the one... Oh, Tony Joe White plays on it. <laughs> why don't... Let's, let's play the one that I first... It was my intro, and it's pretty... Uh, you know, I think not throwaway, but it's, it's not as um, perhaps as ambitious, but it was my entry, and I think that's appropriate. It's called Stand Right By Each Other. Uh, the second last track on disc one. Something destructive going on here. Can you feel it, baby? Tell me what you want me to do. Is not constructive to cry as much as I cry, baby. Tell me what you want me to do. We gotta stand right by each other. Gotta try harder, baby. I gotta stand right by. new songs here so embrace it embrace Lucinda Williams Morris I hope I haven't talked too much no I suspect you, I you cannot talk too much well, this has all been entertaining I hope and so. wonderful fantastic thank you so much yeah. for taking the my time pleasure. I have busy and all that but yep. I really am so immensely grateful oh my pleasure happy Christmas everyone happy happy Christmas happy Hanukkah enjoy whatever it is that you're doing yes and uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes to um, see where else we go next in the show. I'm not sure I haven't ordered this yet. We'll speak to you uh, in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Love That Album. Thanks, bro. Pleasure. Well, in fact, what is coming next is me announcing the end of this episode. Hope you've enjoyed this mammoth bumper edition of Love That Album, episode 69, where all these wonderful people have come forth to tell me about their favourite albums of 2014. I'm immensely grateful to every one of them for taking the time to come on the show and talk to you and to myself about their favourite albums of the year, be they new ones or be they ones that they've just gone discovered. That's how we all find out about new music, is from what other people have to say. It's not always on the radio, unfortunately, nowadays. There'll be some albums that... Uh, I hope that you'll follow up on. Certainly there'll be a couple in there that I'm going to want to uh, chase around for uh, 2015. But of course, there's going to be a whole lot more that'll be new in 2015. I don't know where we get the time to listen to all this music. But of course, if you love your music, you always make the time, be it on your commute to work or while you're, um, I don't know, uh, washing yourself in the tub. Anywhere is a good time to listen to music, you know, where you're uh, sitting, potentially um, waiting for a job interview while you're in the cinema. Any place is a good time to listen to music, in my opinion. 
All right. Anyway, thank you so much for uh, listening to the program. I know it's been a bit of a long listen, but uh, if you've kept up this far, then uh, I really appreciate it. It means that you're a great supporter of the show. And uh, please let people out there know that this show exists. Uh, That's how it thrives. And uh, we'll be back in a week or two's time with the final episode for 2014. This will be the shooting the shit episode. I'll be having the crew the wonderful Shooting the Shit crew, who actually haven't done a special all of 2014. I'll try to get a couple in next year, uh, episodes that aren't uh, best of shows, but uh, it's always a pleasure to get together with these guys, and we'll be doing our favourite albums of the year. as sort of like a round table sort of uh, a presentation. So I hope you can uh, tune in for that download and get even more recommendations for your oral pleasure. And uh, you never know, there might be some albums that you've already heard and you might agree with, and there might be some albums that you've listened to that you think, no, I thought that was a bit ordinary. I'm going to write to those fellows and tell them that I disagree. I always love feedback. So you want to write, then send an email to rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au or join the Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. Always wanting to hear feedback. Uh, So until next time... uh, Go buy some more records or some CDs, whatever is your physical platter of choice. Download if you have to, legally, of course. And go watch some great films. Go read some wonderful books, but generally be nice to each other. And we'll see you very shortly for the final episode of 2014. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.